Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. E-A-G-L-E-S, Eagles. Mmm. Deacon, you know I love this song. You know what? That's what I do, man. I'm just mm. here to provide the flow. That's all I do. Deacon, Deacon. You know I love this song, baby boy. How you feeling this morning? First look, things look, first, man. man. Look, man. Welcome to Sports Take. What? It's Come on, Tuesday, man. baby. Yes, sir. Thirsty Tuesday, or what do you say? Uh, tr- tricky, tricky Tuesday, however you want to call it, man. Twisted Tuesday. Let's do it. Let's get twisted today, D-Gun. You guys are locked in on Sports Take. I'm your guy, Tony. This is the second I'm here with the man, the myth, the legend, the Don Nada, Derek Gunn. How you feeling today, sir? Man, you know what? It's Every day is a good day. Right now, it, it's sunny out, but I understand another front is moving in. I'm like, man. I, I love the summer range, but but enough is enough, man. We got wait a minute. I, I gotta address something real quick. Matt Lawson said D Gun at it again, meaning I'm the reason the show. Oh. No, you can't pin this one on me. Due to circumstances beyond my control, we're a few minutes late. I'm I'm just telling you like it is. Man, I can't. Um, what's can't a few know. minutes? Huh? What's a few minutes? I know, man. We're still here, right? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's so it's so funny because, uh, you know, we were talking off air about this. Obviously, I do not look like Rob Ellis. There is a slight difference in our parents. You know what I mean? Yeah, just, I'm, just I'm, a, I, I'm a bit I'm a bit prettier. That's about it. But, I, you look, know, <laughs> I'll let you and Rob discuss that. I'm not judging men. I, I don't judge men. I don't care who you are. I, oh, I, man. Shout out to our guy, Rob Ellis. Uh, right now he is on the road uh, taking his daughter to college, man. What a. What a time, right? You know, we were talking about this off-air, D-Gun. You know, you were talking about how when, you know, when you had to drop your children off at college, you know, when they were you know, going through their, you know, going through their first experiences. And, man, you know, when I, you know, when I went to college, I graduated from California uh, University of Pennsylvania, oh, yeah. class, uh, class of 2017. Yeah. So, so I, I, I've been out of college for about, about six years now. We're in 2023. So, yeah, I've been out of college for about six years now. I got my bachelor's. And uh, it was exciting. You know, uh, I did my thing. Good and bad, <laughs> but you know that moving process—it can be turbulent, right, D Gun? Let me tell you something. I had to do it with three kids, and here's the thing: every time I did it, right, you know, it seems like you strategically pick a time. Okay, we want to get here by a certain time so that we're not standing in line waiting for elevators and stuff like that. It didn't make a difference when we, and my wife and I, dropped our kids off at school. It was always like at a time when everybody else was there. So all three times I had to do it, Tom, you'd have to stand in line forever waiting for the elevators, right? Right. So, I know. so what do we do? We walk up and down the stairs. Let me tell you something, man. My knees, man, let me tell you something. My knees, my back, my shoulders, and especially you know, two girls. They always have more stuff than the boys, right? And I'm like, how much stuff can you fit in a dorm room, you know? And dude, I'm talking like 10, 12 trips. Cause I'm at I get to a point like I'm not standing. Um, I'm not standing in line waiting for no dang elevator. Right, let's go. You know, so six, seven floors, up, down, up, down, up, down. Um uh, I dude, let me tell you something. I'm glad I'm I'm past those days, but brother, I paid a price. Paid a price for it. Listen, my father paid the same price. You know, shout, you know, shout out to Antonio DeShield Sr. Uh, he uh, he paid a, a hell of a price. You know, he paid the tuition price, <laughs> and, and and he also paid the uh, the price of a uh, room and admission and board and, and and meal plans and so on and so forth. But you know that that moving process is so fascinating because I chose the college I chose. By the way, I chose it strictly because of the accommodations. I I didn't. I didn't do any due diligence on the school's pedigree. I didn't do any due diligence on, um, you know, if my program was one of the best in the state or in the country. All I did was I wanted – I'll put it to you this way, Diga. I wanted to be comfortable. And if I'm not comfortable, I can't be there. I, I can work around everything else. But if I'm not comfortable, I won't be there. So, for example, right, they came to my school. Comfortable. I, ha I had to be comfortable, D-Gun. I have to. I'll put it to you this way. We all know in college, typically – the college experience comes with, you know, you have to share the same facilities as the entire floor. Yeah. That's, that's pretty standard, right? Yeah. This school actually allows you to have your own bathroom in your dorm room. And you only, and, 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 you, and you have one roommate, obviously, and you and that roommate share that bathroom alone. No one else, no shared lavatories, no, no shared loofahs, no shared soaps or caddies, none of that. None of that. So, that's one of the main reasons I chose my college. And, you know, I was on a top floor at that. So having, having, now, a, you, you say know, top floor, how high up? Man, I think it was about four floors, four or five floors. Oh, that's not too bad. It's, it's, it's not, it's not, it's not. But, you know, when there's one elevator, 
Oh, oh. <laughs> it, can, it, it, it can get tricky. It can get tricky. How is it that you decide at the age of 18 years old that comfort fits into your equation when you decide on picking a college? Because most kids want to go to college either, number one, because of the degree program that they want to pursue. Number right. two, it's considered not only a good school, but one of the best party environments in the region. Um, and number three, it's or it's close to home, or they want to get as far away from home as possible. How in the world does the word comfort enter your equation? Are you? Let me ask you something. Let me, this just I'm me listening, and you. I'm listening. I'm listening. Right. This is just me and you talking. Nobody else is here, but me and you, right? Just me and you. Okay. All right. I got you. Just me and you. Are, are you one of these bougie brothers? Is that what hey, you? Hey, listen. Huh? You you say bougie, I call it having a preference and having a standard. It's 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 a little bit it's a little bit of a difference. It's a little bit of a difference. I you know I I would say, but speaking of speaking of being the bougie brother or having a preference or having a standard, yeah. You know this this Philadelphia Eagles team they've they've kind of had a pretty a, a pretty solid standard when it comes to their defensive tackle position, right? Right. A, a, a guy like Fletcher Cox, he has been the gold standard for the Philadelphia Eagles, and then they right, had Javon right. Hargrave for the past couple of seasons. So they've been they've been pretty blessed at that defensive tackle position. Most notably, Fletcher Cox, of course. Some people would argue he's a borderline Hall of Famer. He's definitely going to be an Eagles Hall of Famer, Super Bowl champion, multi-time All Pro, first team All Pro, multi-time Pro Bowler. You know, he he has been the linchpin, the anchor on this Philadelphia Eagles defense, but Here's the thing, though. He's not going to be here for the long haul. Fletcher Cox is, what, 33, 34? He's, he's th between 32 and 34. Let's just say he's, he's flirting around there, right? Right. He's not going to be here for the long haul. Right. But as a matter of fact, the Philadelphia Eagles have made it very clear that they're aware that he's not going to be here for the long haul for the past right. two drafts. They right. drafted two DTs, arguably two of the best DTs of that draft class based off of the evaluations. Jordan Davis in 2022, he was the 13th overall pick. Yep. Jalen Carter, he was in 2023, he was the ninth overall pick. So the Philadelphia Eagles have chosen two defensive tackles yep. with high value picks, right? Two top 15 picks. That, that, that's, that's pretty valuable, right? Yep. So we always talk about how much pressure's on Jordan Davis entering his second season. Can Jordan Davis live up to expectations? You know, he had a down, he had a, he had a very underwhelming rookie season. And then we talk about Jalen Carter. Can you know? Can he outrun um, the ghost of his past? You know, can he find a way to stay focused on football? Can he live up to expectations? Is he? Will he be as good as advertised? But we all, but we never really talk about. The pressure that's on Harry Roseman, the guy who brought them in the building, the guy who drafted these guys, right? right? You know, Harry Roseman has a long leash when it comes to ownership, when it comes to Jeff Lurie. He's his, he, you know, he's his second son, right? Outside mm -hmm. of Julian, he's his second son. There you so, go. Harry Roseman has always been in the good graces of Jeffrey Lurie, regardless of the circumstance. But I want to ask you this, right? Are we putting enough pressure on Harry Roseman? For this, for this, for the future success of this defensive tackle position, he invested two high priority, high value picks at that position. You can argue the future of this Eagles defense is relying on the success of Jordan Davis and Jalen Carr. Let me put it to you like this: When you stock your covers full of certain foods, 
when when the when the food is depleted, what do you do? You go back out and restock, right? Right. And I think Howie Roseman has taken a lot of pressure off of himself, at least for now. Unlike a lot of teams, Howie Roseman has restocked the cupboard. Okay. When you talk about Jordan Davis and Jalen Carter, and let's throw Nolan Smith in there also. I think he's restocked the Carter, uh, the cupboard. Now, the good thing about that is they didn't have to hit the ground running and beat a man because he did an excellent job of putting a veteran presence in front of them. You had Javon Hargrave to go along with Fletcher Cox. You already had Milton Williams uh, in, in the fold to slowly bring along as well. So Fletcher Cox is at that age. He's 32, where – we don't know how much longer he's going to be here. Jay, Javon Hargrave is no longer here. You can slide Milton in there now. He's got a couple of years' experience. You got arguably one of the top two defensive players in the draft this year in Jalen Carter. You know, it remains to be seen, but we all think the sky's the limit for this young man. You go back to last year with Jordan Davis, you got a road grader, a, a space eater, okay? He didn't have to step in and hit the ground running and be the man because he had two pro bowlers in front of him, two high-paid pro bowlers in front of him. So his natural learning curve, his learning process could be slowed down because of those two guys in front of him. And on top of that, when you had the type of success that this defense had last year, a lot of pressure is taken off of Jordan Davis because – even though sporadically people are saying, where's Jordan Davis? Well, he had two built-in excuses. He was injured twice. So he couldn't play while he was injured. But when he was out, this defense was still rolling. Right? Okay, so go back to Howie. I think Howie has alleviated a lot of pressure off of him because of the way he has stacked the present and the future. Okay? Now, they lost some good quality talent on that defense, especially in the line. But look at what they already had and look at how he replenished the cupboard, so to speak. So it's not like the cupboard was bare. You look at a lot of teams, when they lose X amount of free agents, they're scrambling to bring in a borderline veteran free agent or, depending on where they're drafting, they're trying to draft somebody in a hurry to plug them to plug and play. And let's face it, a lot of times it takes a while for most college players to make that the transition to the pros. There's always exceptions to the rule. You know, we're assuming Jalen Carter's going to be an exception to that rule. Sauce Gardner last year was an exception to that rule. Justin Jefferson came out of college was an exception to that rule. But for the most part, there's a slow transitional process, okay, from the college ranks to the pros. Well, and you've heard me say this a number of times. When you look at young players like Jordan Davis and N'Kobe Dean, this is kind of like their red shirt freshman year. They got the red shirt last year for the most part. Jordan Dean, uh, Nicobe Dean relegated to special teams for the most part. Jordan okay. Davis only played X amount of snaps, one because of injury, number two because of people in front of them. Now this year, those two players in particular hit the ground running. Now Jalen Carter, because they, they moved up to get him and they identified him as one of the elite of the elite college players coming out, he's going to see more playing time and everything we've seen up to this point in practice and the limited time we saw him in that preseason opening game tell us that this kid has the ability to be the exception to the rule. But we still have to see Jalen Carter do it. But I don't think there's any pressure on Howie right now. Number one, he got this team to the Super Bowl. And the disappointment was, they didn't win it. But look at what they brought back. 
Look at what they've restocked with. And so they're already considered across the board the team to beat in the NFC. Minus the tough schedule, they're still considered the team to beat. Look at how many teams that have made significant changes just in the NFC. Green Bay, new quarterback. Saints, new quarterback. You know, this is the last year of Kirk Cousins' contract in Minnesota. Bears, young quarterback. Carolina, young quarterback. Okay? Atlanta, young quarterback. So on and so forth. Your young quarterback finished second in the MVP voting and just got paid. Temporarily, he was the highest paid player in the NFL based on what he did last year until he was leapfrogged by Lamar Jackson. Okay? So this team is well stocked on both sides of the ball for now and the immediate future. When I say immediate future, I'm talking about two to three years down the road. You do bring up a good point. Harry Roseman has done, he's made a lot of, he's made a lot of decisions to try to alleviate the transition from regime to regime. A lot of, a lot of organizations struggle with that, right? A lot of teams struggle with transitioning from the players of their past Yes. And trying to really lean into the players of their present and future. Right. You know, you you know, you really brought up a good point. The Eagles really could have fell into purgatory after that Carson Wentz situation. Absolutely. They could have really they could they could have really been stuck in the mud. Right. And then obviously that transpired the way it transpired. He drafts how he he drafts Jalen Hurts where he drafted him. Yes. That was a shot in the dark. We're being completely honest. Absolutely. we had, we had no idea of knowing Jalen Hurts would become what he became, right? Still, you know, and and, and I think that's why, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll be transparent. I I was extremely hard on Jordan Davis uh, throughout his rookie season and up until now. The reason for that is because I believe, like everyone else, we were so wild by his combine and the athleticism and just his ability to move at that size, Yet, when he was on the field, you saw the flashes, you saw moments, but you never really saw continuous impact from him. Now, like you said, he did have the built-in excuses, right? He 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 got hurt a couple times. I believe he played uh, he played thirteen games, started in five, so he missed four games in the regular season. But to only play, to only account for 26% of the snaps on defense. And, and look, D-Gun, I know we like to talk about the rotation. But if I'm being honest, a guy that young, 26% of the snaps is pretty low. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll put it in perspective, into perspective like this. When it comes to Fletcher Cox's rookie year, and I'm not saying Jordan Davis has to be Fletcher Cox. I'm not saying they're the same guy. They, they essentially, they're both D-tackles, but they played the position a bit differently. Yeah, Jordan Davis more so the nose tackle, Fletcher Cox more so the three technique, right? But in 2012, Fletcher Cox accounted for 52 percent of the defensive snaps. He was on the field half the time. Now, granted, they didn't really have the best defensive tackles at that time, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's be today they had uh, Cullen Jenkins, Cedric Thornton, Mike Patterson, uh, Antonio Dixon, uh, Derek Landry. Uh, you can make an argument when Fletcher Cox was drafted, he was already the best D tackle in that room. Absolutely. Even though we didn't know what he was going to be like, he already was. Right. And we had no idea what he was going to be. Yet Jordan Davis and Jalen Carter, they had that luxury of playing with a guy like Fletcher Cox. I think the Eagles are in a better position from a defensive tackle position today than they were at the time when Fletcher Cox got drafted. Do you think that may have played a role in Jordan Davis's uh, limited snaps on defense? Well, absolutely. Look at the money you paid Javon Hargrave to come in here. Are you going to – 
Were you going to sit Hargrave or Fletcher Cox on the bit? At last year, Fletcher was making fourteen million. Are you going to sit a fourteen million dollar player on the bench? The money they brought Javon Hargrave in it. Were you going to sit him on the bench? No, you're right. Money talks you right. And on top of that, who better for a young player to learn from than those in front of him? I can't tell you throughout my tenure of covering this game how many players told me that they learned more from a teammate than they did from a coach. Because, see, they stood there and watched the player do it. And then if the young player is smart, you ask the player in front of you, why did you why did you shoot this gap? Why did you do this? Why did you loop at this particular time? What are you looking for? What little advantages are you looking for when an offensive lineman puts his hand in the dirt? You know, they always talk about how sometimes the giveaway, the best of the best defensive linemen can tell you, I can tell you when it's going to be a run play or a pass play just by how an offensive lineman puts his hand in the dirt. When you study him enough, he might lean one way or he may put two fingers down or three fingers down, you know, depending on whether it's a run or a pass. You know, if his X amount of fingers down, he wants to make sure he can get off real quick to set up. If it's a power running play, he wants to make sure he gets that push off the snap of the ball. So you can tell in a lot of cases. And if I'm a young player, I'm constantly asking questions of those in front of me, especially highly decorated players like Hargrave and Fletcher Cox. They've done it at a high level for a long time. Who better to learn from? A coach can stand there and tell you all day, I need you to shoot this gap and here's why. But when you see somebody do it and who's made the kind of money they've made and who've had the longevity they've had and who have had the success they've had, who do I want to learn from quicker? I'm not saying you discount the coach. You don't disrespect the coach and discount the coach. Right. But who better do I learn from? The guy guy whose place I'm eventually going to take or a coach? It's academic. You bring up a good point. You bring up a good point. Now, okay, so try to, you know, try to, you know, you know, get in my mind, right? Try to get in the mind of the Eagles fan who was critical of a Jordan Davis. Again, everything you mentioned makes perfect sense. You're paying Javon Hargrave, but you're paying him. Fletcher Cox is obviously getting paid what he's getting paid. Why would you not play those guys who have more experience? Um, you're clearly paying them, you're, you're clearly paying them the tab to indicate that they should be on the field 60, 70, 80% of the time. And then Jordan Davis, he's a rookie, so he has an opportunity to learn from these guys. Why do you think, knowing everything we know about the Eagles defensive tackle situation, why do you think people were hard on Jordan Davis at that time? Why do you think they were so critical of the trajectory of uh, his rookie season, knowing what we know about the state of the defensive tackle position and also knowing what we know what it was like for Fletcher Cox when he first got here. He was relied upon more because that defensive tackle position was so minuscule at that time. Right. Jordan Davis was in, clearly came in in a better situation. Why were people, why were people like me so hard or so critical on a guy like Jordan Davis at that time, knowing what we knew? Because you got caught up in the wild factor of the combine. You got caught up in the wild factor. A man 6'6", 300, um, 340, 350 pounds who could run a 4-4-4-5-40 who was or 4-6-40 who could get down the line as quickly as he could laterally that's a wild factor you, you, you're automatically thinking in your mind that's an impact player so he comes here and you think wait a minute he's only playing on third down situations he's only playing uh, uh, in certain gap situations on running plays you didn't, you didn't have to you didn't have to put that pr- unnecessary pressure on him 
the organization identified. Let me tell you when the organization really identified they were going to get a player like a Jordan Davis, okay? When they realized that Javon Hargrave was going to be in the last year of his contract in all probability, they weren't going to be able to resign. I always tell people all the time, Howie Roseman doesn't start looking at the next season when the, when the previous season is over. Howie Roseman right now, as well as he's trying to orchestrate the best team possible, he's already looking at the numbers beyond this season. Trust me on this. He's already he's he can, I bet you right now he would never do this. He can already tell you who's probably going to be here in 24 and who's not based on what the market may dictate, based on what youth they have. Now, the evaluation process will help determine if what he's thinking already is, is going to be etched in stone by the young players who are, who, who they've added. Okay. Um, there's a reason why he'll bring in one, one year type players, especially at the linebacking position. We, we go through this time and time again, talking about the Eagles don't identify the linebacking position as a primary position. They believe in the trenches, the corner and the back end of the defense, plain and simple. They spend a lot of money in the trenches, marginal money at the linebacking spot, and they invest heavily at the corners and the back end, okay? And look at the way this team is constructed right now. You, you're replacing you're, – you're, you're implementing seven new new players on defense, veterans and young players alike. But yet you still have enough veteran presence holdover to solidify and to stabilize what you're planning to do. Even though you have a new defensive coordinator and a new co-defensive coordinator, you have enough veteran presence – to go along with this influx of highly touted youth to do what you need to do. Most teams don't accomplish that from year to year. Howie has been able to consistently do that for the last three years. You know, they, they brought in Landon Dickerson. We're thinking, huh, you drafted him that high? Look at what he's turned out to be. They go out and get Cam Jurgens because they know it's year to year with Jason Kelsey. Now Jurgens is going to be slid, slid into the starting guard spot, uh, guard spot knowing he's still the heir apparent to Kelsey when Kelsey decides to retire. Then they go out and get Tyler Steen. Why would you draft Tyler Steen? Because it's, it's it goes beyond just a present plan with this Eagles organization. Always that foreshadow, right? Always having the always having the contingency plan, the what most if or the what if. Yes, most teams don't do that. And Howie's one of the best of the best at not only seeing a vision for now, but also seeing the vision for what's to come. I can't tell you how much it still sticks in Howie's craw that they didn't win that Super Bowl this year. Howie built that team last year to win it all, and he fell three points short. That has stuck with him since that game ended. Trust me on this. It still sticks with him today. He is more motivated today than he was last year because this team is on the unusual position of being a dominant team on both sides of the football in a conference that has been down now for a couple of years. We haven't seen the NFL, the NFC, this is mediocre in a long time, and this is back-to-back -back years. Like I said, there's so many question marks about so many other teams and even the elite teams, so-called elite teams in the NFC, that are going to try to knock the Eagles off their pedestal. Dallas, Seattle, Minnesota, New Orleans, Detroit. But they all don't have what the Eagles have. Right. The Eagles had nine players. They were pro bowlers last year. 17 that were considered pro bowl caliber players last year. There's not another team. There's not another team in the NFC that came close to that volume of, of elite players. And even with the deletion of some of those players, look at how he's replenished the coverage. There's no yeah, question about it. You're, you know, you're 
you're spot on. I mean, you know, what you said that stuck that stood out to me is the fact that how much it really sticks uh, with Harry Roseman, how they came three points shy of securing the second Super Bowl in Philadelphia Eagles history. You know, it's, you know, I can, I can only imagine, you know, the thoughts he has that keeps him up at night where he, where he at, where he continues to ask himself, what could he have done differently? And if I, if I, if I'm really honest with myself, I don't think there's anything Harry Roseman really, really could have done differently last season. I think he, I, I felt like he, he had plenty of bullets, plenty of tools in the arsenal for this Philadelphia Eagles team to get over the hump. But I think they just ran up against the big bad wolf, and that was Patrick Mahomes. That that's all the Eagles. I've said this before. Had the Eagles faced any other team other than Kansas City, I believe they would have dominated that Super Bowl. Any, but unfortunately, they ran up against the face of the NFL right now, Patrick Mahomes. Doesn't it seem like the Eagles never get a fair, never they never get the easiest route when it comes to winning a Super Bowl? Now, I'm not talking about the games prior to the big game because obviously we know how the 2023 playoff uh, run went. Uh, it, they beat the brakes off the Giants. They uh, uh, beat the brakes off of the San Francisco 49ers by default, obviously. But in the big game, in the Super Bowl, each Super Bowl, at least while I've been alive to pay attention to the Eagles, they had to play Tom Brady twice, and they had to play Patrick Mahomes. In all three situations, they had to play the GOAT of the sport at that time. Sure. But the, 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 Philly can never get a fair shake. <laughs> it, it, just, it just never works out that way. It, it, you know what, though? When you get to the Super Bowl, players will tell you 100 times out of 100, to be the best, you want to play the best. That's true. Now, obviously, you want to win. But there's a certain satisfaction when you beat the best of the best to hoist that Lombardi trophy. You know, that is so it. gratifying that the that the journey to get there was worth the, the, the trials and the tribulations, the aches and the pains, the grueling practice sessions. Okay. If it's you you want to beat the best of the best. You know, you don't want anybody to say you won by a fluke. You know, um, they scored 35 points against a, 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 a Chiefs team that was an average defense's best, okay? How many teams then can you can you remember in, in the time that you've watched Super Bowls, a team has scored 35 points and lost? Never happened. It never happened. It just doesn't happen. It, it just happened because they went up against an offense that basically exposed this defense, okay, as good as that defense was. And we can talk about the playing surface all we want, but two teams had to play on the same surface. So we can put that to rest. You know, that's that's last year now, okay? They both had to play. They put up between them 73 points on a bad surface. Unfortunately, the wrong team had the ball for that last drive. The wrong team. Absolutely. Because if there was still time on the clock, I guarantee you, the Eagles would have walked right back down the field and scored again. But the way Andy Reid orchestrated that last drive was a thing of beauty, whether you want to hear it or not. And Andy Reid, we can say what we want to say about him in his tenure in Philadelphia. Whatever mistakes he made in Philadelphia, he learned his lesson and then some since he's been in Kansas City. And that's why that man has been in three of the last four Super Bowls. Okay? Can't argue with it. Can't argue with it at all. It's just that simple. But the bottom line is we sit here covering a team that we feel really good about is going to be there at the end. And when I say at the end, the NFC Conference Championship game, there's not another team in the NFC, maybe, maybe, maybe San Francisco, 
that feel as good about our fan base, our media, and about the people in that Eagles locker room, as long as they take care of business, that they have everything they need to be standing at the end of this journey, which is the NFC Championship game, with hopes of getting to the Super Bowl. I mean, think about it. Look at any other team in the NFC. Outside of the 49ers, and they still have a question mark, even though Brock Purdy has now been given a green light. You got to throw the as, as much as I hate it, you know, I feel like we got to throw the Cowboys in there. But here's the thing about the Cowboys that never fails whenever expectations fall on them, they fall short. Absolutely. So, so, so it's always funny money with the Cowboys. Like that, for some reason, those checks always bounce over there in Dallas. Absolutely. The Cowboys, Cowboys have been falling short for 25, 26 years. Mm. Okay. And, and even though they've added Brandon Cooks and they've added Stephon Gilmore, yeah. two phenomenal players. Absolutely. I expect the Cowboys to find a way to stumble again this year. Now, I understand Dak Prescott is on a mission, a fluke, that, that those 15 interceptions last year was a fluke. Fine. You still got to come through Philadelphia. And I think it's going to be a neck-and-neck neck race between the Eagles and the Cowboys for that division title. I really do. Um, but I like the depth, the overall depth, of the Eagles much better than I like the Cowboys. And when you match player for player, and Brandon Cooks is a phenomenal talent, I'll take Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown over CeeDee Lamb and Brandon Cooks, okay? I'll stack this Eagles offensive line against the Cowboys offensive line, even though they finally appeased Zach Martin and gave him all that money. The quarterback situation is a no-brainer. Dak has way more experience, but who would you rather have under center? That cool, calm Clint Eastwood customer in Jalen Hurts or Dak Prescott? Give me Smokey and the Bandit. Give, give them to me. <laughs> Defensively, Stephon Gilmore, Trayvon Diggs. Trayvon Diggs just got 90-something million dollars. Good mm-hmm. Lord. You know, you want him and, and, and Stephon Gilmore over James Bradbury and Darius Slay? I don't think so. Hey, listen, it's going to be it's, – it's, look, it's, it's going to be a, a challenge, right, especially with the Eagles having the, the hardest schedule in the league right now. But, you know, the reality is, you know, as much as I hate the Cowboys, you know, they have historically gotten the better of the Eagles over the past few years, at least in the, at least in the Dak Prescott era. So, you know, ultimately we're going to have to see how this thing pans out. D-Gun, let's, let, let's, let's sneak one in here real quick, right? You know, I appreciate you always for making it easy for me. This segment flew by, and I want to continue to put in that good work with you, my brother. Let's so. You guys, you guys are locked in on Sports Take. He's Derek Gunn. I'm Tony the show's the second. Filling in for the infamous Robert Ellis. We'll see you guys after the break. Passionately, go fearlessly, go confidently. Go first. 
Go confidently towards your goals with First Trust, Philly's hometown bank for nearly 90 years and the official bank of the Philadelphia Eagles. We're focused on getting you over the goal line. So go with conviction. Go with trust. And go forward with us by your side. First Trust Bank, the official bank of Philadelphia dreams. Oh, and go birds. fans on earth it's a bold statement but would you expect anything less from philadelphia 58 years of heartache creates a toughness a grit a resolve not found in most sure our prayers were answered but now that we've had a taste we're looking for more pondley hockey official partner of the philadelphia eagles Go to get your game on. Go for the beers. Go for the cheers. Go for the hit and the hits. Go for the stakes and the stakes. Go to get your parlay on. Go to get your party on. Go for the scene. Go for the screens. Go for the gallery. Go for the win. Go to Ocean. Visit theoceanac.com to plan your visit. E-A-G-L-E-S Eagles Mm. Mm -hmm. Welcome back Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back to another edition, another segment of Sports Take He's Derek Gunn I'm your guy, Tone DeShields II filling in for Rob Ellis Now, like we said before, Rob is Busy with his family, dropping his daughter off at college. She's going to be a freshman this year. Shout out to her. And uh, it's really exciting to be here with you, D-Gun. Like I said, you made that first segment very easy, as always, man. You know, I'm starting to feel like, you know, we're bro- you know we're, we're more than brothers from another mother. You know, uh, after I shaved my head, I started calling you Papa Bear, man, because everyone's, <laughs> you know, every, every, everybody said we're twinning. So I'm going to start calling you Papa Bear from now on. Papa Bear? Papa Bear. No offense, Dad. No offense, Dad. Your family, your family. So I give you that one. Now, listen, I won't be family until I get some of that famous brisket. Okay, so so don't call me family because I'll pop up at the barbecue. I don't know, man. Um, I I can't even tell you. It's been over a year since I've done a brisket. I'll throw some ribs in the smoker every now and then. You know, my time has been limited, but a brisket. You know, a good brisket take you about fifteen hours to do it right. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. listen, I come over for the ribs then. Shoot, ribs, burgers, dogs. I need some of that famous gee gun sauce. I need I need, I need every bit of that gee gun. Don't stop, stop holding out on me and Rob. You, you have been. Me? Hold out? I, I wouldn't call it holding out tone. It, it's just like I tell Barrett all the time. I tell people all the time. You know, I love you like family, but I love you from afar. You see what I'm saying? See, I got to keep you at bay. Because he wants to let you in. See, then that anticipation is over. But I keep you at bay. See, it's like, you know what? Somehow, some way, you you, you you start thinking like Barrett. I got to find a way to get through the back door. D-Gun won't let me through the front door. So I, I got to find a way to get through the back door. So <laughs> I got to keep you guessing. You know. Hey, listen. All I know is I need some barbecue. 
I need some nutritious baked goods. I need all Ooh. of that. I need all of that, okay? Man. As a matter of fact, you know, really quick, really quick, before we get, you know, before we get into these Sixers, because we have some more to talk about with these Sixers. We all know what happened, what's going on with James Harden and Daryl Morey. But I have, I have a fun fact for you. A very random, very impromptu fun fact that I've been thinking about lately. And you might not believe it. And it's not sports related. Did you know sharks are older than trees? Wait a minute. Let me, man, that's deep. Hold up. That's deep, Hold man. Up. That's deep. Now they claim sharks go back millions and millions of years. Okay. Um, and they say the same thing about, you know, some trees, a hundred years old, you know, they base it by the rains when eventually a tree, you know, uh, dries out or, you know, chop it down for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. They base how old a tree is by the rings and the stump. You know. Right, right. Um, I'll put it you this way. Sharks evolved about 40 million years before woody trees ever towered the Earth's landscape. Fun fact, everybody. We're not going to stay on it too long, but I had I had to throw it out there to my man D-Gun. I had, I had to stump him a little bit. No pun intended. See, here, here's what, here's, here's what I, I, I don't, I never understood. All of these brilliant scientists and stuff. How can you say a shark was on the earth 40 million years ago? I don't care if you do find skeletons embedded in a rock. How do you determine <laughs> if it was just 2,000 years ago or 40 million years ago? We don't know how long the planet has been in existence. We don't know when the first life form hit this planet. There's nobody that can tell you that. Mm. But yet we live by all these estimates that these... 23 million, 23 million years before BC. I call them guesstimates, right? Call them guesstimates. <laughs> I can see it tell you right now. You know, dogs and cats been around since 25 zillion years ago. Does that mean I'm accurate? Hey, no, no. You know, what's so, you know what's so funny? It's funny how they always say, yeah, give or take one or two million years. That's a pretty big gap. <laughs> It's a pretty big gap, you know what I'm saying? But you know, since we're talking about estimates, right? It's like hey, it's like people who who guess the weather on a daily basis. You know, from what we've seen with all these multi-billion-dollar satellites and all this stuff, right? Uh, predicting the weather is still a best guesstimate. Okay, it's not an accurate science. They're like accurate, what 55, 60 percent of the time. <laughs> you know, I wish I had a job I could be accurate 55, 60 percent of the time. Man, you know? in the sports game. You gotta pray to be you gotta pray to be as accurate as you possibly can be. But speaking of accuracy and also speaking of estimates, I want you to estimate how soon do you expect James Harden to be traded? <laughs> how soon? How soon? Give me a give me a, a, a nice guesstimate before the season starts, before a training camp, before the trade deadline, after the like you know, what's what's you know, what's your what's your guesstimate? Right, because you know this this goes beyond just James James Harden now. You know, I, you yeah. know, I want to I want to lay the groundwork a little bit for you before you answer. Right, we all know James Harden called Daryl Morey a liar, oh, old faced oh. liar yesterday. Now I'm kind of I'm, I'm adding a little bit of seasoning on it. He called him a bold faced liar yesterday, and he will never play an organization where Daryl Morey is. But another thing transpired today. Another thing has happened. Apparently, Joel Embiid has removed Philadelphia. From his location on Twitter slash oh, X, oh, or X or Twitter, whatever you want to call it, but yeah. Joel Embiid has, like you always say, he's uh, throwing a shot over the bow, right? <laughs> he uh, he removed Philadelphia from his bio on Twitter. Now we know in this new modern era of of athlete, if you want to send a message to your respective organization, 
you're going to do it on social media. That's not really my style. That's not the era I come from. If I got a problem, you're going to hear it from me. But these guys like to make their grievances known on social media. So obviously we know what we know about James Harden with him calling Derek Morey a liar. And then you couple that with the Joel B situation, him removing Philadelphia off of his Twitter. How do you process that information? How do you digest that? Where do, where do the Sixers go from here, knowing what we know today at this present moment? James Harden has handcuffed the Sixers, and the Sixers have handcuffed themselves. And mm-hmm. here's why. James Harden not only said it once, he said it twice. In a span of 15 seconds yesterday, he said it twice. Daryl Morey is a liar. Morey immediately comes out and says, we have no intentions of trading James Harden. Okay? So somebody's got to give at some point, okay? Unless right now you are trading James Harden for a pair of socks and a jock strap, you have no trade partner for James Harden. Nobody wants James Harden right now. The Clippers sure didn't want him. That's where he wanted to go. Unless you're just going to put the uh, put the advertiser out there, we'll take basketball socks and a jock strap for James Harden just to get him out of here which you're not going to do. You're not going to give a commodity like that just away because then what is the rest of the league, but more importantly, your fan base and the media in your city going to think about you and say about you, especially because this entire summer has been a nightmare to begin with. I don't think they can trade James Harden right now. The right. only way they change, they can trade James Harden, I believe, is when the season starts and if another team has a significant player go down, and they get desperate enough to where they need some firepower in a hurry, especially if they're winning more than they're losing, then they might buck their system to bring a James Harden in, knowing he may be one and done with our team for this season. But if he helps us get to where we want to go, then it might be worth the, the, the headache of bringing James Harden in. I don't know about you, but I don't think they can trade James Harden right now or any time in the foreseeable future. They have no leverage in the situation right now. Nope. Nope. Everyone, everyone knows that they're trying to get rid of him. But even more than that, everyone knows that he doesn't want he doesn't want to be there. So at that point, that already undercuts his value. That undercuts what the Philadelphia 76ers could even try to get for him. It was all it was already a tough time trying to move him prior to him becoming more right. vocal about his displeasure of being in Philadelphia. But now I believe his trade value can't get any lower than this. But it is James Harden. Maybe it could. I, if I was James Harden's representation, now, now let's face it, there are certain players, agents, representation, marketing people just can't control. They're going to speak their minds for better or worse, come hell or high water, no matter how much the representation, representation tells them, please don't say anything. Let's see if we can work something behind closed doors. Now, James Harden, he comes out in front of a multitude of people and calls his boss, his former friend now, a bold-faced liar twice in the span of 15 seconds. Now you have put an unnecessary strain on your tenure here and your ability to move elsewhere because you've come out and do that. And because of his past history of forcing his way out of situations, he has also put handcuff on the organization who might try to deal you now with any other trade partner. Because if I'm a potential trade partner with the Philadelphia 76ers for James Harden, guess who has the leverage now? I do as that potential trade partner because if there were one or two players I might have thought a month ago that I would possibly give up for James Harden, I may not have to give those players up now. Yeah, you know what? 
Yeah, I see you in a, in a bind here, but our mindset is a little different now. We don't feel we need to give up X amount of draft picks or or players to get a James Harden. It's your, if the onus is on you because it's an embarrassing situation. How badly do you want to move James? I.e., I have the leverage now and you don't. And we're not on an even playing field now in terms of negotiating. You are clearly at a disadvantage because of your situation. You have Daryl Morey, whose job is in jeopardy now. You have a premier player in the league who has flat out said he is not playing for the 76ers this year. And you have nowhere to go. So what are you going to do? No, you're right. You're right. You know, it's, you know, it's funny how we got here. You know, remember, you know, Harden, he opted in uh, to the final season of his two year, $68.8 million deal. So he, he is no way he was going to walk away from 35 million in the bank. Right. And, you know, he, he opted in assuming that they would make, try to strike a deal and get him elsewhere. Right. You know, if he opted out, you know, he could have tried to get a max deal four years worth up to 210 million, but no one is investing that kind of capital in a James Harden of today. Maybe if you court James Harden five years ago, sure. No problem. You'll pay him whatever the price tag is. But I think both of these parties, the Sixers and James Harden's camp, I think both parties have been handling or, or rather mishandling this situation to the highest degree. Oh, there's no, there's no question about it. You know, um, I said it yesterday, and I'm going to say it again today. There's a part of me that feels that James Harden feels he was duped because mm-hmm. we were all shocked that he decided to opt in for $35 million when we all assumed that we were, we were all against it, but we all assumed that the Sixers were going to give this dude a max contract for the next three years. That didn't happen. James opts in, and we're like, wait a minute, what? And then all of a sudden, things continue to unravel. I think James felt – or he felt that he was giving a guarantee from the Sixers. If you opt in, we'll move you, man. We got trade partners out there. Well, we saw mm-hmm. Phoenix, Phoenix bowed out real quick. Uh, we, I believe it was Cleveland or the Knicks that bowed out real quick. Houston as well. Houston bowed out real quick. And all of a sudden, the one last team he really wanted to go to, the Clippers, said, you know what? Eh, it ain't worth it. And now the Sixers are like, oh, shoot. And James is thinking, hold up. You promised me you were going to trade me, trade me if I opted in. Yeah, you know what, James? We tried, man, but you know, did did, did the Sixers overprice? Did they over request what they thought they could get from James Harden? And teams didn't buckle. They might have overvaluated what they thought they could get for James Harden in return. And now they're sitting here with they're going to face. They you clearly know? they clearly overvalued those two playoff performances that he put together as well. Because I feel like a lot of people realize that the problem with James Harden today is not the fact that he can't give you the numbers that you want. It's that his 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 good games and his bad games, they're, they're so they're, – there are too many highs and lows with a guy like James Harden right now in his career. Like, there's no steady performance from him. It's not like – it's not like a bad game for James Harden is, you know, 22 points, you know, six assists, three boards or whatever. A bad game for James Harden these days is eight, 10, yeah. eight, 12 points – it maybe six, seven assists, you know, you know what I mean? It's that's a like his, his highs are too far away from his lows. There's no middle ground with him. And I don't think teams right now can really see themselves investing big money in the guy that's that's playing at that caliber of play. 
And you know, I want to I want to double back to Joel and B because I don't want his, I don't want I don't, I don't want what he did to kind of fall under the radar by removing the Philadelphia stuff from your social media. Again, that's a very passive passive aggressive way of you know indicating your displeasure with the way their organization has been going. And I'm not saying he's been getting the the right end the right end of the stick at all for his time in Philly. You know, he's he's been getting paid right. They've always given him his money, but when it comes to building a team around him, he's been through so many different roster changes with the Marco Bellinelli's, the Ursin Ilyasovas, the JJ Reddicks, the Marco Foltz, the Ben Simmons, uh the uh, the Robert Covington, the Al Horford, the Jimmy Butlers. Um I can go on the, uh, right currently with Tobias Harris and Tyrese Maxey, you know, you I can go on and on about the different things he's had to deal with with this organization. And He's already laid the groundwork. He's already been planting the seeds of his potential departure. Remember, you know, he was on, I believe he was on a, a program for Uninterrupted, and he indicated that, you know, he's he, he'll be totally comfortable winning a championship in Philly or, and by his words, or anywhere else, right? So that begs the question, should the Philadelphia 76ers consider, I'm not saying they should, but should they consider finding a situation that they can get the most for a guy like Joel Embiid. And I'm not saying this season, but again, he's already laid the groundwork for a potential departure, maybe at the next season. And also let me add this into Diga before you answer. He's also entering the first year of that new contract where he, you know, his four year, $213 million contract that he signed in September of 2022 also, also coming off the MVP season, his value will never be higher than what it is today. Is there a scenario? Is there a situation where Joel Embiid could be on the outs as well? Maybe not this season, but maybe next season or beyond. Absolutely. Um, you're not going to trade him this season because, let's face it, Joel Embiid is still your marquee draw to get people in the seats. Right whether it's at home or on the road, and you're still making money. Even though you're paying him a lot of money, he's still making a lot of money for the 76ers organization. If this team bows out in the first round next year, second round at the very latest again, then you start looking at the possibility of rebuilding this entire team. You know, And if you, in order to rebuild this entire team, what do you have to do? Take a marquee player, get as many draft picks as you can get, get a few players that, can, can, that you can put – in a starting lineup to make your product respectable in 2024, but you also get a grace period with the fan base because the fan base understands once you make that trade for John and B that you are rebuilding, you are going in a new direction. You went as far as you could with Joel Embiid as your marquee player, your franchise player. It just didn't work out as the whole process just didn't work out for the last decade. That's when you, you tell your, your fan base, Give us time. We're asking you again to give us time. As frustrated as the fan base is going to be, they understand there's another process in place. Now let's wait and see what happens with the second second tenure of the so-called process. Okay. Um, and then you unload that contract of Joel Embiid off on somebody else. But you can't trade him now, especially with this hard mess sitting in front of you. You got to have Joel Embiid here. Now, Joel Embiid, to me, by taking down the Sixers logo from his X account, Twitter account, Always will be Twitter to me. Always be Twitter to me. You want. Tells me that he is as frustrated as you can possibly be. Because he's got to be thinking, well, if James Harden ain't playing, it's just me, Tobias, and Maxi, and maybe Patrick, you know, Beverly, you know, who's a great motivator. To me, Beverly's like 
a more athletic version of P.J. Tucker. Mm. You know, he's going to get in people's faces. He can give you a few points. He can give you some defense. But he's not a player you're going to build around long term. He can give you immediate help right now, but he's not he's not a long-term solution to what you're trying to do. But look at the rest of the roster beyond that. It's a huge question mark. It's a, it's a huge question mark. So yeah. your bench is a question mark. Your, your five starters in a lot of ways are a question mark. If, 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 if Harden is not here, who are your five starters for this team? Okay, you got Maxie, you got the Harris, and Embiid. Who's your next two starters? P.J. Tucker, who might give you five points a week? Jeez, that sounds crazy. <laughs> five five <laughs> points a week. If he give you five points a week, you're happy, right? When, you, when he gives you 10 points, you're like a static. P.J. Tucker dropped in 10 points. What? So who's who's your other two starters on this team? No, I hear you. I I I, I totally hear you. You know, I'm you know I'm of the mindset that I had to see what this Joel Embiid Tyrese Maxey pair can do. I've already you know I've already written it in my mind. It's already inscribed in my mind that James Harden you know won't put on another Sixers jersey. I'm, I'm already I've already made that up in my mind. I think that's just a foregone conclusion. So I'm already yeah. picturing life without him. Um, you know, it's just so funny. A guy like Tyrese Maxey, he's been a guy who's constantly, you know, elevated his game every single season. And, you know, there there are there are definitely deficiencies in his game defensively. And, uh, and also, we don't know if he can truly play that true point guard role at some point. Can he run the offense? I think right. I, I think I think those are all fair questions. But I think I think he deserves an opportunity to be able to see if he can run. A, a solid pick and roll with Joel and B, you know, that, you know, that two man game. Right. I, I, I think, I think we deserve to see what that looks like because I think Tyrese Maxey is a, is, is a guy that he's never truly going to really activate his full potential until uh, James Harden is completely out the building. I think, I think, I think, and this is not a knock because I love Tyrese Maxey's game. Right. I don't think you'll ever be a one. I think you'll always be a two. I don't think you'll ever develop into a one. I don't think he's, He's built to be that type of guard to be a one. I think he's more suited to be that off guard, you know, and, and let him do his thing in that regard. And if that's the case, where are you going to find your, your one guard? Where are you going to get him from? You know, you, are you going to spend money, whether it's this season or, or you know, next, next off season? You don't have a lot of money. You can spend this season as it is. You know, so where are you going to find him? See, this team is handcuffed not just this year, but unless they, they, unless they deal – Embiid, what are you going to have in 24, to be honest? Seriously, what are you going to have? This team, right. team is in such a gray area right now, man. It's, it's, you know, two consecutive, three consecutive years, you can't get past the first round. Your team is unraveling right before your very eyes. You got one player who says, I am not, I'm never playing for him again. Your, your franchise player is taking down the team logo from his Twitter account. This is a natural born mess right now with it no is. in sight. It is. And, and, and that's the sad part about it, right? You know, the Philadelphia 76ers historically have been a very respectable franchise. And it yes. just seems like yes. now they're just, they're just spiraling. And it, it's, it's pretty like at this point, we're always waiting for uh, the final uh, pin to drop. Uh, Deacon, let's, let, let's see again another break here. Next up, we, uh, we, we have a very special guest uh, coming on uh, to the show. Our guy, Dan Cilio. 
is going to be coming on, showing us a lot of love and helping us out here while our guy, Rob Ellis, is uh, taking his daughter to college, man. Shout out to Rob. Shout out to Dan Schiller for coming in on short order. You guys have been locked in on Sports Take. He's Derek Gunn. I'm your guy, Tony Schultz the second. We'll be back in a little bit, you guys. Stay tuned. Don't move or don't touch that dial. company and you're not producing a podcast you're missing out the public consumes messaging when they're ready join the professional podcast network of companies and let jacob media partners put you in the podcast arena come to our professional studio or we'll come to your place of business and professionally produce your company podcast call jacob media right now at 267-261-3428 Heading down the shore. Here, imaginations run wild and time stands still. Because here, you can find the best of the Jersey Shore all on one five mile island. So leave the old you behind and get lost in the woods. in Southeastern PA in Delaware with Colony Pools this football season. And let the experts close your pool with a custom Merlin safety cover in green for the birds. And if you join our winter watch team, we'll give you another 20% off and Colony Pools will handle it all. Keep your tiles on your pool, not in your pool. Fly with Colony right now, birds fans. Visit flywithcolony.com. He's D Gun. I'm your guy, Tony. This is the second. This is Sports Take. I'm here filling in for my guy, Rob Ellis. You know, D Gun ain't no party like a Sports Takes party. You know that, right? That's right. Ain't no party like it, and the party is never, ever complete unless we bring in our guy, the man that always brings the noise, the, the guy that always brings the, 
the trolls out of the woodworks, the guy that knows how to rile you up and just bring that energy out of you, the guy that knows you how to he's an instigator. The, the, he's guy an that, instigator. the guy that knows how to make you think. He makes you think in ways that you didn't want to think. You know who I'm talking about. Our guy from the National Football Show, Dan, Big Sills, Cilio. How are you feeling, sir? Hell, did I hear Gator? Wow, man. D Gun knows how to step on that damn button there, man. <laughs> Holy cow, man. I don't even mention that school. It's the school on 75, Highway 75. And the only thing that I love about Gainesville is the alligator farm. That's it. I don't really like anything else. No, no, no. I didn't say the gator. I said he's an instigator. Oh, instigator. Yes, I said he's an instigator, not a gator. Deep down, I resemble those remarks. <laughs> oh, man. Well, well, first and foremost, Big Sills, you know, I, I appreciate you taking the time out. The, uh, you of know, course, any time for you guys, man. On, on on short order, especially, man. You know, let's, you know, let's get right into it. Uh, the Eagles, you know, they're entering the their third, I want to say their third offseason under Nick Sirianni. Is it second or the third? I think it's the third. And, the third. Uh, he, yeah, and yeah, and, and he's entering his third season as, as the head coach. You know, there's a lot of expectations riding on this Philadelphia Eagles team. We know how last season ended. They made it to the Super Bowl. You predicted it, by the way. They made it to the Super Bowl. Unfortunately, they came three points shy of securing the second Super Bowl in Philadelphia Eagles history. You know, as it stands right now, what do you think is going to be the tallest hill for this 2023 Eagles team to climb this season? It's the depth. Um, it's the experience. I mean, look, I agree with D-Gun. I heard him say it. You know, the retooling of the team with higher ceilings. Could Jalen Carter be a higher ceiling than Javon Hardgrave? Yes. However, again, he's never played an NFL snap. So we still have to get the experience factor. The secondary. Um a lot of, lot of ifs and buts and what's and maybes and this and that. We have to wait and see how they're going to play. I was very encouraged by the communication skills that they had in that game against the Ravens going back and forth. And I got to think that's a little of Matt Patricia and his influence factor because that was his forte in New England. Um, again, D-Gun has brought this up numerous times. They lost their top five tacklers. You know, and anytime you lose your top five tacklers like that, that's a ton of experience. I mean, 160 tackles um, from TJ Edwards, which I think was the biggest blunder in the offseason, not bringing him back, um, because I would have loved to have seen TJ Edwards and the Kobe Dean do what they did with Seth Joyner, matriculate him in, start him at the Will or Sam, bring him in, let him get his feet wet, let him learn how to play in a structured system. But um, I think it's really experience, and the offense is going to have a lot of weight on it. If they're going to have to carry this team, and if they have three and outs, you're going to be playing on a lot of short fields early on in the season. You know, I mean, if you look at it, do they have the best roster again? Probably the front 22 with the quarterback separates them from San Francisco. San Francisco's got a lot of stars on that team, but they're a headless horseman. So you still look at them, but I just don't think they're as deep. If they lose D-Gun, if they lose Devontae or they lose one of those corners, you know, I mean, we're talking about maybes. And anytime you go into a season with maybes, you know, you're 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 really kind of flipping a coin there. Big Seals, tell them brought this up earlier in the show, and I want to pose this question to you. 
And I want to preface it by saying this, and I've said this time and time again after doing a lot of research. The last time an NFC losing team in a Super Bowl has gotten back to the Super Bowl, you have to go all the way back to 74-75 with the Vikings, okay? Repeating to get to a Super Bowl, period, is 17%. So he Tony posed the question, how much pressure is on Howie Roseman to duplicate what he did? which is basically unheard of in today's brand of football because of the parity across the board. Now, unlike most teams, Howie can see in the future. He doesn't build just for today. He builds for down the road as well as stacking his team that they have enough veteran presence to hold to hold it on lockdown, you know, when things are going bad. But you've got the toughest schedule in the NFL this year to go along with your aspirations of getting back to the Super Bowl. Is there more pressure on Howie or less because he's also implementing seven new players on defense? I think you've got to take advantage of the landscape of the NFC right now. And you got to remember something about that Vikings team. And D-Gun, you and I are you know old enough to remember that. Back yep. then, you had stacked Vikings and Cowboys Absolutely. and Washington teams and really good teams, and you couldn't move around like you could back in the day. And that NFC was packed. This NFC is top-heavy. So he's got to take full advantage, in my opinion, of the NFC right now. I think there's more pressure on Howie Roseman than any coach that will ever be the head football coach in Philadelphia because they've replaced those guys. You know, I mean, look, it's pretty remarkable to think that ever since the owner took over from um, Norman Brayman, that almost every single coach that he has had has a winning record, and that includes Chip Kelly. I mean, there's even remnants left of Kelly with Jeff Stoutland still in the building. I mean, he brought him in and Lane and drafted him. So, I mean, there's been successes. Um, pressure on, on Howie, it, it, the, the pressure, again, is kind of lifted off him because of one thing. The Philadelphia Eagles do one thing that no other team in the NFL does. It's the best-paying uh, organization in the NFL, and it's the best smart-paying organization in the NFL. What do I mean by that? Howie's latitude and the reason he's able to rebuild is because they give the money up front. They don't give the money on the back end where you're going to be salary cap purgatory like the Dallas Cowboys are every year. They're going to go to Lane and go, here's $30 million in two years. We're going to lower your cap hit so that we can bring more talent to the team. The true... The, the true secret sauce in Philly is that the owner is willing to give the bag of money. So how he's able to go out and gamble a little bit more. And, and, and I said this the other day too, you know, just to show you D gun about the pressure you're talking about. There is no question. In my opinion, the reason Jalen Carter is on this football team is because of the flub up of uh, Justin Jefferson you know, there were question marks on him because of him taking money from Odell Beckham on the sidelines. There was a little character issue on some of the things that were said with him at LSU. They weren't going to be in that position again. They were going to blow right. that into the wind. And in my opinion, Jalen Carter's on that team because of the mistake that they made with Justin <clears throat> Jefferson mm. and taking the safe pick and, 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 and uh, Jalen Rager. So to me, I think he's – He's been given – he's got so much latitude as a general manager, maybe more so than anybody in the NFL. I mean, is he Veach? 
in Kansas City. I think uh, Andy and him work very well. I like Schneider in Seattle. I do like Mickey Loomis down in New Orleans. But I got to say, man, there's no question, and especially the last four years, D-Gun, the drafting has picked up so much better yep. where you had – what was it? Only um, A.J. Brown was the only non-drafted Eagle in the offensive huddle in the Super Bowl. Yeah. I mean, it's 17 of 22 guys were drafted by the Eagles. Their drafting has completely turned around over the last four years. So he puts the pressure on him by really controlling a lot of the environment, the personnel, the coaches, all the stuff that goes through him. And the owner is really the guy, in my opinion, that allows him that latitude. You bring up a good point, Big Sills. A lot of that pressure that Howie carries is kind of self-imposed. You know, he yes, he, you know, he 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 kind of wears a lot of hats in his organization. You know, he he picks the roster. You know, he pick he he picks the pool of coaches that his coaches can choose from. You know, he 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 has a lot of hands. Um, you know, he he has his fingers and Sirianni fingers, you know, though all over Tone, the place. Sirianni though, Tone is building equity up where right. his decision making and his influence now is becoming more and more. See. Doug wanted to punch you in the head with his influence. And when he started dipping his beak into Howie's personnel sandbox, that was the beginning of the end for him. When he started doing that, Frank kind of schooled Sirianni and telling him, hey, get along, go along. They'll bring you along. Mm. And that's kind of how Nick has become more of an influence in the locker room than what Doug, because Doug had became very combative at the end. And Doug wanted to say in the personnel, this is how he's game, man. Either you go along to get along or you're out. Let me squeeze this in really quickly, D-Gun. You know, we talked about the pressure that's on Howie, right? You know, I want to take it a step further. You know, he, he has improved as a drafter, right? But, you know, there's a lot of pressure on him, you know, when it comes to this defensive tackle position specifically. You know, we always talk about the pressure that's on the player, right, to live up to expectations. But not often do we put the pressure on the GM to really make sure that position stays as uh, as fertile or as dominant as possible. Remember, the Philadelphia Eagles, they've been a team that's been pretty strong at the D-tackle position since Fletcher Cox has been here, right? Fletcher Cox was drafted in 2012, and when he was drafted, you know, he was asked immediately – uh, to be the guy, you know, when he came in, he was playing that he was playing next to guys like Mike Patterson, Antonio Dixon, uh, Derek Landry, you know, Cedric Thornton, you know, he he Cullen Jenkins, he came in and he was he was asked to be the guy immediately. Whereas though a guy like Jordan Davis, you know, when he was drafted, he was playing behind Fletcher Cox, playing behind Javon Hargrave. So based off of that situation, he wasn't necessarily asked to be the guy, yet he was drafted extremely high. Jalen Carter, a guy drafted extremely high. And we know Fletcher Cox is on the way out. This may be his last year. So speaking of the pressure, how much pressure is on Harry Roseman to have gotten these two picks in particular right? Because remember, two back-to-back -back years, you're drafted two DTs in the top 15. That's telling me something, Sills. It, 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 it is, but remember something. The one thing that they've done different from the Brahman days they believe in the lines both sides. Absolutely. That 17 Super Bowl, they beat up the, the Patriots. They beat them up with those fronts. It was the best combination of defense and offensive line play that I've seen in a long time. I mean, they, they were like the Cowboy teams back in the Jimmy Johnson days where they dominated you up front. Yeah. Um, the, the defensive tackle position, I said this about – I think people think that I'm really all over – Jordan Davis, no. I thought I think he's a good ball player. I think he's down in the 20s. 
I think he's going to be a player like Vince Wolfork. He could be like that. Vince had 16 sacks in 13 years. However, he was part of three Super Bowl teams. I mean, he's going to knock on the door on being a Hall of Fame guy. Now, that all being said, though, if people thought he was going to come in here, and I, I never thought he was productive at Georgia. He had nine sacks in 43 games at Georgia. He was never going to come in here and be a whirlwind three technique. He was going to come in here, and because everyone fell in love with the 478 at the combines and his, his shuttle drills and all that, no one ever said he wasn't a great athlete. However, his production, he's not a productive guy. So that was the problem. People, It's just his production, people had, right? People had, a, not, people had the wrong perception of what he was. When he, well, when he what he's him. going to do, he's ah, going okay. to be able to clear up space for Carter to have 13 sacks or for another guy to have Milton Williams to have numbers because at the end of the day, his influence is going to be on second, first and second down, which influences third down if you're third and long. So to me, again, people thought he was going to have these gigantic numbers. He was never going to be that guy. Sills, I've said it time and time again. I just don't think Jordan Davis is the body type that is the three-down player. You know, I think his role will be defined for his entire NFL career. He's going to be a situational player, whether it's a two-gap, you know, type player or, you know, um, just a definitive role player. And there's nothing See, wrong with Vince Wolfrick was, was a, uh, only a two-down player. That's right, his whole career. And look at the career he had, you know. Absolutely. Example, you know. And, you know, and I understand, you know, a lot of times from a fan perspective, when you hear certain names, because they're all these these glamorous names that come out of college, we have these expectations of them. But yet when you transition to the NFL, those guys get paid seven figures because they identify a certain trait that they feel that fits best for what they want to do in an overall scheme. Um, Jalen Carter, I do believe, will be that three-down type player. If he can stay healthy, I believe that Jalen Carter can be a dominant entity. I'm not going to say he's going to be the next coming of Aaron Donald because that's a lofty goal that, in a lot of cases, is just unattainable because you've never seen a smallest D tackle like an Aaron Donald dominate the way he does. But Jalen Carter has the physical makeup to become a very successful D tackle in the National Football League. Do you think at this point, for all the accolades that we keep hearing about Jalen Carter, and of course we all saw him make the one definitive swim move and put pressure on a quarterback, do you think the expectations right now as we sit here, because you played you played in the trenches, are the are, are we are we are we accelerating the expectations too much? Should we pump the brakes a little bit and give this young man room to gradually grow into what we expect him to be? See who this is? Yeah. That's Jerome Brown. Yep. I think this kid has the potential to be that kind of player like that. And I'll I'll tell you why. What's going to happen to him is he's just got to get used to seeing what the difference between the college game and the pro game is that in college, I'm a 550 pound bencher and I run four eights. I'm going to kill 90% of the guys in front of me. Mm. When you're in the NFL, you're not killing Jason Kelsey. You're not killing Landon Dickerson. They're bigger, they're stronger, and what the fundamental thing they do is they beat you on technique, splits, slip and scoop, flat steps, technically sound. I played against Bruce Matthews once. 
This guy's doing head fakes on me that I have never seen in my entire life. Flat steps, getting up, slipping and scooping. The place comes just like this. And all of a sudden you look up, you got five minuses. You're like, holy shit, what the hell's going on here? You're going like, I got five minuses in a matter of 10 seconds. And you're going like, these guys are so technically sound. But what I love about him is the explosiveness, the way he moves, his hands, how strong he is. He's got that big hip strength, too, in the middle in there. D-Gun, he's a, he's a three technique, in my opinion, like a young Adamic and Sue kind of guy. When Sue was in Detroit, yeah. that first few years when he was dominating like that, I think he could be something like that. To me, I think he's the best player in the draft. And you get him moving around like that, and if Jordan Davis can play the way he – he, he can play. Just hold it down. You're going to free up, and there's going to be a pretty good rotation in there. And I'll make this point to you guys. You know, everyone's always like, you know, Sills is killing the Kobe Dean. Remember something. Wyatt in Green Bay, Walker in Jacksonville, Davis and Carter in Philadelphia. You know, it's not that Kobe can't play. He's a good player. Those guys protected him, though, his health. Mm. When you had those gigantic guys in front of him like that, and you have those type of skilled players like that, if you get knocked off the ball, the Kobe Dean's in problems, okay? He had superstar ball players in front of him, huge human beings. And, again, these guys all have to come together and all gel. Can you imagine you have maybe for the next 10 years, you have a three-and-a-one technique that could hold down the fort like you had with Reggie and with Jerome for the brief time that they had, but you could maybe do this a little longer than what of course happened with Jerome. But I mean, you got the makings of something here. That's great. My, my problem though, is that I hear the Philly media going, this guy Davis is now you're going to start saying he's a bust because if he has 28 tackles, four sacks, they're going to look at that and go, well, he sucks. I'm going to go, no. What was the ranking on the defense against the run? Well, they were seventh. Shit, that's a win. So you think a guy like Jordan Davis, to really understand his game, you have it's, Jordan Davis's game is more so meant for the football nerds. Look beyond like, the numbers. Right. You know what I mean? Like, like his, his production is more so meant for the football nerds. In order for you to really understand Look his beyond impact, the numbers. It's not, it's not, it's not tackles. It's not tackles, no. tackles for loss. It's not no. sacks. It's, it's, it's how he's, it's the lanes he's creating for a guy like Nicobe Dean. And you mentioned it, right? Nicobe Dean, you know, you know, we talk about this all the time, Big Sills. There's a lot of pressure being put on this dude. He only played 34 steps. And look, Eagles fans, this is not unneeded me pressure too. This is not me trying to say he won't be capable of doing the job. This, unneeded, this, unneeded pressure. Unneeded, absolutely unneeded pressure because this is a situation where he's not playing next to anyone that has experience in this offense. Think really. about this, Tone. Think about what you're what you're asking this young kid to do. The 34 snaps last year. Let's just hypothetically take the ability out of the building, D-Gun. Let's yep. not even talk about that. Continuity, recognition, communication, <laughs> all those things that he's not have done yet. He's not even done it because he's missed so much time. And a new coordinator. And, 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 and on top of that, I think Sean Desai was the third pick on coordinator. I think the whole Fangio thing got blown up because of that Gannon mess. And I also think that they wanted the Georgia Bulldog Yep. Um, defensive coordinator, because he yep. was the second interview. And I to agree. me, they landed on Desai. And guess <clears throat> what? That's why they brought Patricia in, because you know why? 
they liked Sean Desai. He's got a great reputation. Carol vouched for him. But at the end of the day, D-Gun, they're still in the back of their mind going, yeah, you know, he had some success in Chicago a little bit here. But, you know, yeah. I mean, so, maybe- so, so they're hedging their bet with Patricia. Yes. Yes, mm. absolutely. Because of the limited experience Desai has as a D.C. And when you've had the type of defense that had the measure of success that this defense had, unprecedented success in 2022 whoever the d coordinator who came in here is put under unfair pressure and criticism and comparison because of what they did in 22 but you lost seven components to what you achieved last year and implementing people think it's just going to be a natural transition you're going to drop and play anybody you want into this game and it's going to be just as successful as it was a season ago no it's not no, it's not. Now, it might be, but the, the numbers show us historically that doesn't happen. That just does not happen. Deacon, if that team wins 11 ball games this year with that schedule, it'll be a better football team than a year ago Thank with you. the 14 wins because you're playing against top-flight coaches, top-flight quarterbacks, and sometimes you know this is well. This isn't about how many wins. This is about getting home field. And this is about winning your division. Yes. I don't care what that number is in the NFC. As long as they win the East, get home field. That could be 11 and six. And 11 and six against that schedule, that means you've beaten a, a Bills team, or you may have beaten a Chiefs team, or you may have swept the Cowboys. In my opinion, there's no question that team is going to be, we're going to find out a lot about that football team. And I don't think that defense will be ready to pick the apples off the tree until probably week seven. That offense is going to have to carry the mail. Yep. I'm telling you, D-Gun, for the first two months of that season. You know what, you know what Big Sales? If, and I agree with what you said. If this team wins 11 games but win the division, I think home field advantage could be in jeopardy only because the other teams that we're comparing them to have lesser schedules. Right. And somewhat of an easier road. So – they might have to go to a Minnesota or San or New Orleans or New Orleans. And I've been talking up New Orleans. They may have to go to Detroit only that's, based on the fact that and that's those, right. Those divisions are so, so yeah. weak. I mean, look at who New Orleans plays. They play nobody. Yeah. I mean, Atlanta, I agree with you, Deacon. I've heard you talk about it. Yeah. Um, Atlanta, you know, I kind of watched it. Desmond Ritter a little bit, you know, he yeah. does yeah. show that he can he, see. He, he's, still, he's still unknown to me though. He's still he, a big but, unknown you know, to me. And, and again, to me, I watched that New Orleans team. Boy, I'll tell you what, man. They're, they're a good-looking football team. They're yeah, going to – and when they get Kamara back, and if they get Kareem Hunt signed down there, and you put those two guys in the backfield with Olivier and with Michael Thomas, who's looking if, good in if camp. Michael Thomas is all the way back, that is huge. That it, And their defense, Yes, I mean, they got a good group. And Dennis Allen, in my opinion, could be the only question mark in New Orleans. I think they're a sleeper to – to maybe even win home field. But, again, the Eagles are – look, they got the toughest schedule. They got the target on their back. This football team, again, last year there were so many mediocre football teams they played, and I mean by the quarterback position. However, they still got in the ring and knocked the guys out, which yep. is not anything on them. They beat them up, what they were supposed to do. Right. But to me, I think, D-Gun, this team – um. And, and Tone, th- this team is going to be more prepared this year to go into Arizona, to go into Arrowhead because of the teams that they're going to play 
And when you get into games like that, you're going to be battle tested instead of taking on Davis Mills and, and stuff like that. You're going to have gone through Josh Allen, Dak, all these other quarterbacks that you're going to have to play Aaron Rodgers. When you get to Arrowhead, you're going to be more prepared. Personally, I think that's why the AOC, and I said this a lot, I think the AOC is going to be tougher to win this year than the Super Bowl. I agree. Yes. So uh, let me let me ask you this final question for me, Big Sales. Once again, I appreciate you for taking the time, my man. You know you were tremendous today. Um, so and I know and I know we spent a lot of time on the defensive side, and I think that's pretty much where the storylines lie for this Eagles team this year. I feel like the offense is pretty much what it is. The defense. If, is if, if, the, if, if Swift the, plays, if Swift plays like I think he might, I don't know how you I don't know how you defend that offense. Right. So yeah. so um really quickly. We, we spoke about this defense and we spoke about the various the various variables that can lead to their demise, but that can also lead to their success, right? Knowing what we know about this offense, what's the best case scenario for this defense? Is 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 it, and what I mean by that is, you know, knowing what we know, is it best to just hope for this defense to impact just to be able to get timely stops? You know, are we hoping for a better run defense, a better better communication on the back end with the DBs? What's the best case scenario for this defense so this team can get back to a Super Bowl? Well, well, here's their identity. Don't give up plus 25. What I mean by that is don't give up plus 25 plays. Don't get beat deep. Keep everything underneath. And hope the other team makes mistakes. That was the philosophy of last year. And again, those two corners we have, they're not they're not press man corners. No. Center fielders. They keep everything underneath. You see, and Darius Slay, you know, he bitches about, you know, what happened with him in Detroit. Well, what happened with him in Detroit, Patricia likes man cover corners. They've always had those in New England. He's not a man cover corner. He is a center fielder. And they did a great job. Bradbury, to me. I take him over Diggs and Dallas because he's more consistent yep. of a ball player instead of giving up big plays. So to me, the problem that you have this year than compared to a year ago, Tone, is every time that this football team was taken on a big time quarterback. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Whether it's Dak, Dak had his worst year of, of his career, right? He still threw five touchdowns versus that number two ranked defense last year. And if you allow, with those linebackers we have on this team, to allow players like Kelsey and some of these other guys with those quarterbacks to, to threaten the zone and to threaten the safety position, I mean, when's the last time they stopped a big-time quarterback? 
Aaron Rodgers. So how do they do it? Cousins, so those, you know, how, what, what can they hope for? How do they deal with this roster? How do they deal with these? You got to get pressure. You got to get home. You got to get home. Okay. Those corners have to kind of duplicate again what they did a year ago, but they got to get home. Okay. There is more pressure on the, there's more pressure this year on the D line and on the edge rushers and guys like Reddick than there is on the guys on the perimeter at the cornerback position, because you're taking on, you don't want to get, Hey, I'd rather give up, and this is Bradbury's philosophy, and I love it. Bradbury's never going to get beat deep. He'll give up the 10-yard in or wheel route, but he ain't giving up the plus 25, Mm. okay? Now, Slay will, and I thought Slay did not play very well the last last two quarters of the season, and I didn't think he had a very good Super Bowl. So we'll see if that 32-year-old thing's starting to jump on him a little bit here. But, again, um, there's more pressure on that D-line to get home. Big Sills, I look at the Eagles secondary and we talked about the limitations and the question marks about the depth. And again, it's just a one game limited sample. But I'm looking at the eagerness and the athleticism of the Justin Evans, the the Eli Ricks, the Sidney Browns. And I think the secondary might be a little deeper than we give it credit for being. I, I was I was with you. I heard you the other day and I'm like, yeah, yeah you know, and you know what else you saw? You saw the communicating. They were talking, and yes. they were looking, and they were yes. they were moving guys around, which meant that self self coaching. Which, to me, I was like, "Wow, that's really good." What these guys with limited experience are doing now? Look, Baltimore's not going to show you anything, nor are the Eagles, because in New England they're going to dissect everything that these preseason games are going to do. And you know, Belichick is watching every single thing you do and you don't want to telegraph right. anything that you're doing there, but they were talking and I'll tell you this too. Got to figure a way um, in maybe blitz packages or mm. in tight end covers or uh, spies. You got to get that kid, Sidney Brown on the field because he reminds me a little bit of a bigger version of Bob Sanders. He runs through tackles, not two tackles. He runs through him, and you can see why you fall in love with him when you watch him on film a little bit. He's a hitter. I mean, now, he's going to get beat on some false steps because he's a younger player, but, boy, I'll tell you something. When you watch him run to the ball, you're you're like, yeah, there's something to this. And the kid, Ricks, what he's done is this. Digon, today – you have no chance to make a roster because of limited practice time and the limited practices you have. Exactly. But when you stand out like that in a game, the coaches then do this. Oh, so now you're on the radar. So now you're now put yourself on the radar. So now let's see what he does against Cleveland. Maybe a little bit more, move him around, see what he does. This is not about flash plays. This is about consistency plays. Mm. As a guy continue to do this weekend and week out. Jimmy Johnson used to tell us all the time, it's not about the sensational plays. It's about the bad plays you make. Nobody wants to be that guy that gives up the game-winning touchdown. Go out, be consistent, do your job. And that's what Belichick always means by it. Do your job. It's not about having to pick six for a touchdown or leading the NFL in interceptions. Personally, um, after watching CJ and after watching him on film more, I'll tell you what, man, I think that was a fluke year. I think he's a really good player, but I think he's a fluke. I mean, there were so many times that those run fits weren't good. There were so many times he was out of position, and I was wrong. You know, I, I jumped on a guy at the Inquirer 
about CJ, I think maybe I was wrong about him because at the end of the day, you go back and watch those game films, man, I mean, there, there were, I think 35% of the time he was in the wrong gap or he was like getting turned around out there. And I just, I watched it more and I said, man, maybe this guy, Jeff McClain was right. This guy here is undisciplined out there on the field. And I watched it again last night, D-Gun. Yeah. I don't know. I think those six picks, sometimes you get into a right position and you get a little lucky. I, 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 I think he was part of a process last year on a good football team. So I don't know, man. I, I, I've changed my opinion on maybe the kid from Pittsburgh is going to be an upgrade because he knows the position. Well, one thing I do know, Big Sills ain't no fluke. I'll tell you that right now. Big Sills always <laughs> yeah, Big Sills, Big Sills is as consistent. Hey, man, the only gets, thing man. I give a crap about today is, man, I got to get D Guns rib. I, I got to learn how to do ribs, man. My wife won't let me on the grill. I can't, man. I almost <laughs> burned my house down four or five times. I, I mean, I had a Traeger. I almost killed ourselves with the Traeger, man. Oh, jeez. It was, it, it, it was, it, hey, get this, D Gun. So I, I, I take the sawdust pellets out and I put it in a, box right i didn't think anything of it so I'm no like, all of a sudden i look out the window and i go wow something's on fire you know the forest fires out in california i'm like wow man there's a fire out here sure enough i go out my canopy's completely fired i had three <laughs> plastic barrels industrial barrels burned to the ground and the only thing that saved my life was that the trigger was against the fireplace with the, the fire chimney and i'm like my wife comes in she goes you almost killed us and I'm going like well, you're you're barred, so I can't. I I'm, I've been barred from cooking. Who who well, told well, you to put <laughs> hot hot ashes in a wood box? Who told you this? D gun. You know I know a lot of things, but there's a lot of things I don't know. <laughs> oh man. Well, 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 well look, so how about this? We 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 know we can't count on you to cook on the grill. Hell but, no. But but listen. What, what, what you what you got cooking up for us later on on the National Football Show, man? I don't know if you want to give up the trade secrets. Dave Wanstead's going to join us. We're going to talk to him a little okay. bit about defense and identifying. You got to remember something about Wanstead. He was the guy responsible for bringing in Cortez Kennedy. He was a guy yeah. with Russell Maryland, and he also and he also recruited Aaron Donald to Pitt. Mm. And so I'm going to ask him about identifying defensive tackles. And I played for him too, and Jerome played for him, obviously. Um, so. We're going to talk to him a little bit about what he saw. And, like, Derek, what, what makes Aaron Donald so insane? He's six feet. Yes. 270. Yes. And you can't. I mean, I mean, D Gun, I can't think of an NFL D tackle in history that no. size that has no. been that dominant. No. Right? Not Warren Sapp. No. Sapp, no. six, two and a half, 315 no. pounds. I mean, no. I can't think of one guy that is – I mean, maybe on the perimeter, Dwight Freeney was a 5'11", six-foot guy. But, I mean, that's outside. This guy's inside at In traffic, yeah. And last year was the first year he got banged up. I yep. cannot believe how good he is inside like that. His hand right. quickness and his feet must be so insane inside for him to be able to get away from that. Now, I'll tell you what he does do, Derek – that's different than back in the day. He doesn't play to run. And he runs around a lot of blocks because if you look at the Rams' run defense, yep. since he's been there, I mean, they give up about five yards of play. But in today's NFL, most of the time, 72% of the time, you're a nickel package. Not only that, but you think most teams in the NFL over 65% of the time, 
are throwing the ball. Yep. And yep. that plays right to his strength. And when you notice, uh, he has one of the quickest get-offs of snap I've ever seen. Ever. And when he attacks, you notice a lot of times he doesn't attack straight on. Yep. He angles his body so where he can slide. You know, and, and even when guys are trying to double-team him, when he angles his body, he's so much smaller, he gets up under a lot of yeah. these guys. And with his lower body leverage, it may, I tell you what, he has utilized every asset that God has given him physically to the nth degree like nobody else I've seen in a long time. He's a Penn, he's a Pennsylvania heavyweight wrestling champion, too. Yes. Yes. So that he knows leverage, and he knows mm. how to use his hands. And to me – that was one of the things that helped me out a lot was being a wrestling with a wrestling background is being able to use that leverage in your hands and angles. And he understands them really well. And guys who have had that kind of, you know, being able to get hands off and slip and, you yep. know, use technique and such. Um, I always thought that that was really a great asset for him because he was a Pennsylvania um, heavyweight champion wrestler. So that's right. Well, guess yep. what? If you guys see Big Sills in the woods wrestling the bear, help the bear, okay? I tell you that right now, Big Sills. Hey, Tom, man, I can't Thank jump you. over. Hey, Tom, I can't <laughs> jump over a stack of pennies right now, so it's all good. <laughs> or, 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 or if you see him with a big lighter, just make sure there's not a grill within twenty thousand miles of it. <laughs> you see me with a lighter, you better run. <laughs> oh man, Big Sills, man, listen, you were magical today, my man. You know, I I appreciate you. I love you, you man. Bet, man. You know, awesome. you've all, you, know, you, you know, you're always, always the truth. Done. And we appreciate your time, man. Make sure you guys lock in on the National Football Show today at 3 p.m. Yep. Eastern time, 2 p.m. Central time, my time. But make sure you guys lock in on the National Football Show with Dan Celia. Always does amazing work for Jacob Sports. And always get always pushes your buttons, but also always pushes the right buttons at that. And that's what I love about Dan Celia. Hey, hey D-Gun, real quick before I go. Um, yeah. he'll, he'll go like this. I'll go like, he'll go, man, I can't stand it. Dude, I love you. <laughs> Dan, I love this guy. I can't stand this home big man. I love this. Wait, damn, drag me back into this. Oh man, thing, man, pull me back in again. I'm hey, so what do you always later, say? So what, what do you always say? Now you can't leave. Now you can't leave. <laughs> <laughs> All right, big sales. We appreciate you, man. Take care, big dog. You good, dog. All right. Oh man, I love Big Sills. That was that was fun. Hey Gunner, man, time is flying, man. It's already what one forty-two over here, over there where you are. Yeah, baby. Yeah. Let oh man, how you feeling? How you feeling? D don't tap out on me now. How you feeling? I still yeah, got you. Man. Look, man, I'm check your fun. pulse. Check your pulse. Look here, man. How many jobs do you have where you have fun doing what you do, man? Oh man, we can not sit here and talk sports, yuck it up, and when you do it with good people, it makes it that much more enjoyable. You know. And I've been blessed my whole career to do what I want. I love to do. And everywhere I've worked, coast to coast, I've done it with just an abundance of good people on air. You know, and it makes it that much more enjoyable, man. So, you know what? I'm having fun today, man. You know, it's, it's I'm sitting here. I'm having fun today. Rob, we wish you were here. <laughs> I have fun every day with Rob. Rob and I, we've known each other 26 years, man. But I'm having fun. I'm having fun. Today. I got you. We just had big sales. We're still, we're still rolling. You know, hey, we listen, got more man, than an hour and 15 minutes to go. We still roll. Hey, listen, let's keep cooking, man, because I think the people are still hungry. You guys are locked in on Sports Take. He's Derek Gunn. I'm your guy, Tony. This is the second filling in for our guy, Rob Ellis. Keep it locked, you guys. We got some more topics to cover. Let's do it.
If you own a company and you're not producing a podcast, you're missing out. The public consumes messaging when they're ready. Join the professional podcast network of companies and let Jacob Media Partners put you in the podcast arena. Come to our professional studio or we'll come to your place of business and professionally produce your company podcast. Call Jacob Media right now at 267-261-3428. Here, imaginations run wild and time stands still. Because here, you can find the best of the Jersey Shore all on one five-mile island. So leave the old you behind and get lost in the woods. Southeastern PA in Delaware with Colony Pools this football season. And let the experts close your pool with a custom Merlin safety cover in green for the birds. And if you join our winter watch team, we'll give you another 20% off and Colony Pools will handle it all. Keep your tiles on your pool, not in your pool. Fly with Colony right now, birds fans. Visit flywithcolony.com. Take party because a sports take party don't stop. Welcome back to Sports Day, you guys. I'm your guy, Tony DeShields the second, filling in for Rob Ellis. And here we have our guy, Derek Gunner. How you feeling, man? You doing all right? You do, oh, take, man. It's something you took your customary bathroom break. The customary bathroom break has been uh, taken care of. Yeah, man. You know, every now and then you got to do what you got to do. I had to go downstairs, get myself a quick snack, came back up. Do what you got to do. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely, absolutely. You ain't the only one, man. Look, I, I went over, grabbed myself a Cliff Bar, grabbed myself a Slim Jim. I'm feeling all right. I'm feeling good. I'm I went grab myself. I went grab myself some Starburst. <laughs> <laughs> now you see the difference, right? He went and got candy. That doesn't. That that's not. And, and I. And what did I do? I went and got some things that's going to sustain me. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. Well, yeah oh I man, mean, I, you know I call it, I call it pain and pleasure. That's what I call it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, some, you know, you got to do with what what soothes the savage beast, you know. I'm mad at that. And I saw those Skittles sitting there. I'm like, I mean, a, a Starburst sitting there. I'm like, I gotta have it. Do those belong to the kids, D Gun? Did, did you take the kids Starburst? I might have. <laughs> I, I might have. I might. I might have taken. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I, I may have. You know, and I, 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 I honestly admit, you know, um. 
I have no intentions of growing up anytime soon. Why should you? Why should I grow up? You know, I'll, look, I have to be, I have, I'm an adult when I have to be. Mm-hmm. Public functions, things like that. But at home, my family don't know what to get from, expect from me day to day. Just never know. You know, why be predictable in life? You know what? I'm a simple man. I'm a simple means. You know, I don't, I don't, you don't see me out and about in public a lot. You know, you ain't, you ain't gonna never, you never see me in a bar. Um, I, I stay close to the vest with the family, grandkids. You know, if I'm, I'm fishing, I'm out by myself or with, you know, close friends, you know. So when, when it's my time to cut loose, you just don't know what you're going to get. You, I mean, you can't be predictable all the time, right? I ain't mad at you. I ain't mad at you. Play, yeah. play on, play on. That's what I always say. Play on. I, I, I drive my wife nuts, but that's what I'm supposed to do. Uh, listen, don't, don't get me started about driving a wife nuts, man. My wife, sometimes she look at me with the... uh you know, with the devil eyes, like she, you know, she cut her eye at me, like, listen, Tone, hey, don't, don't get it twisted, okay, I'll, I'll let you have fun, you know, yeah. on, on the mic, on camera and all, but when, you, but when you're home, yeah. hey, pipe down, okay? <laughs> I, I play too you. much, that's, that's my problem, Digga. I play too much, that's my biggest issue, I'm a, I'm yeah. a, I'm a goofball, See, I, 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 am I too. play a little too much. I am too, and my wife has a limited sense of humor, you know, you gotta, you gotta, it's like, you gotta know, you gotta know when to when to the the, the 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 jab all the time. You know you gotta you gotta pick and choose your moments well, because sometimes it can come back and bite you. You know, you gotta stick and move, D Gun. You gotta stick and move. Yeah, you know. <laughs> um, speak, speaking of sticking and moving, right? The Eagles had joint practice uh, with the Cleveland Browns yesterday, and they're also yeah. going to have it today as well. So they had it yesterday, Monday. They're going to have it today, Tuesday, depending on when you're watching the show. Um, the Eagles are having joint practice for with the Cleveland Browns. Uh, yesterday and today, Monday and Tuesday. Well, not, not only that, but they were supposed to practice at five o'clock today. But because of the possibility of inclement weather, they moved today's practice up to one forty-five. Mm. You know, it was supposed to be later in the day, but now they so basically they started practice a few minutes ago on today's session. But yesterday's step session, man, we got a whole lot of uh, you know pluses and minuses from 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 various media members on Twitter. X, X, Twitter, whatever that thing is now, uh, the pros and cons of what happened. And it was some interesting comments out there about what looked good and what did not look so good for the Eagles. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's so funny because throughout the entire day, it was quite frankly nip and tuck. You know, the the Browns won this rep, the Eagles won this rep, and it was a it was a constant back and forth. It was the the competitive juices were flowing at an all-time high. Uh, it's so uh, it's so funny. I think about the trenches, right? The offensive line play and the defensive line play. Jordan Melada had to go up against Miles Garrett, um, you know, for a good portion of that practice. You know, he got he got beat quite a few times, and then you saw J- Jalen Carter uh, and Hassan Reddick taking advantage, you know, of guys like uh, Joel Patino, uh, Joe Patino and Wyatt Teller. Those guys are are, are very good at their position. The, actually, the Cleveland Browns and the Philadelphia Eagles have two of the best offensive lines in the NFL. Absolutely. Make an argument. Eagles have one. Uh, Cleveland Browns have two. Some people may say Cleveland Browns have one. Eagles have two. Those both those teams are constantly jacking for position for having the best offensive line in the NFL. Yet both of those offensive lines had a pretty rough go at it, dealing with some pretty intense pass rushes uh, from the Cleveland Browns. You know, because of the Cleveland Browns' last of lack of consistent success in recent years, I think a lot of their talent goes unnoticed and underappreciated, but the Cleveland Browns I agree 100%. have a pretty good defensive front. And, you know, 
I saw what really jumped out was when I saw a couple of media members say that the Cleveland Browns defensive front got the equivalent of six or seven sacks on Jalen Hurts, and they got a pick as well. Well, you got Miles Garrett over there. Let me go on record as saying right now, I'll take Miles Garrett over Nick Bosa any day of the week. I'll mm. give, me, give me Miles Garrett. And Nick Bosa is a phenomenal player, but I'll take Miles Garrett. And who got who got the task of going up against Miles Garrett yesterday? Jordan Malata. If you want to get better at what you do, you can't pick too many players better than Miles Garrett to practice your craft against, to work on your techniques, to work on your weaknesses to make them a strength. And there was a pic, I saw a picture uh, after practice from one of the media members that showed an ISO shot of Jordan Malata standing there talking to Garrett. And if I'm Malata, especially because Cleveland's not on my schedule this year, I am picking Miles Garrett's brain as long as I'm standing in front of him. What do you see me doing wrong? What do you think I need to get better at? Do I need to get out of my, my snaps quicker? Am I, is my foot placement wrong? Because you are getting the, the best of me. Tell me, can you help me out? And a lot of times, football players help each other, okay, in a lot of cases. And if I'm Jordan Malata, for as, as, as far as he's come as an NFL player for, in a short amount of time, there's always room for him to get better. The great ones, like the Lane Johnsons, don't stop. They don't let their past laurels speak for them. They're always working on something to get better. And hopefully Jordan Malata took advantage of that moment in time after practice with Miles Garrett to pick his brain and to get some vital information on what can make him better for what's to come in a grueling schedule because they're going to place, they're going to face some interesting, Malata's going to face some very interesting pass rushers. There's no question about that. And he's got, he's got some guys that are going to be coming. When you look at that Eagles offensive line, and you say, who's the weak link on the, of the tackles? Who are you going to look at? You got to go Milata. Go Milata. Okay. But, you know, to, you know, but to, but to be fair to him, right, but to be fair to him, the, the distance traveled for him is unheard of, right? No, you know, a, 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 a guy that wasn't not even from this country, not even familiar with the sport, didn't know how to put the shoulder pads or the helmet on. Right. You know, didn't even didn't, – didn't understand the look of football, yet – he dedicated himself to the craft. You know, he got, you know, fake by, 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 by the grace of the football gods, he was blessed to be taught by, you know, two of the best when it comes to offensive line play. And that's uh, Jeff Stalin and Eugene Chunk, you know, when he was with the Philadelphia Eagles. And I think, I think Eugene Chunk trained him at IMG Academy, right? Yeah. So, so when you think about it from that perspective, Jordan Melata has had the best of the best when it comes to learning the game of football, but more importantly, learning that offensive line mentality, the position of being a left tackle. He already has a dog eat dog mentality, right? I don't think you had to teach him, you know, he's he's one of he's, he's one of those guys you point and you say sick him. You ain't yeah. got you, ain't, you yeah. had to teach him to be a dog, but what you had to do was you had to train the dog. You had you, you know you had you had to treat uh give him the the fundamentals, the techniques so on and so forth. But I think still, I think still to this day Melada is a very raw talent. What's your thoughts? Just put it in perspective like this. You said very raw talent who has refined his game to where he is now a well-paid starting offensive tackle in the National Football League. And he beat out a first-round draft pick in Andre Dillard to win that. So what does that tell you what Jeff Stoutland and the Eagles organization think about his progress in a short amount of time? They drafted Andre Dillard thinking he was going to be a starting offensive lineman for him in the National Football League. And his rugby player who was hungry and wanted to learn the American game, 
got all the coaching he could, both within the organization and outside the organization, and elevated himself to where this team gave him a $40, $50 million contract, which is a small contract by offensive line standards, left tackle standards today. But that's what the Eagles thought of him. And now look at him now at 6'8". This man is 6'8", 350 pounds. First of all, he don't look 350 because he's cut. He's, you know, he's not like round. He's straight up and down and can move. You know, he utilized some of those rugby rugby attributes to transition to a football player. And look at him now. Look at when we watched games last year when they ISO on Eagles run plays and you see him just freight training people down the field. He just engulfed people. You see DNs who are prominent DNs. You can't even see him. They're trying to find the ball carrier. They can't see past this man. Feet constantly moving. Just a road grader. You know, kudos to him for, for, for being diligent in his work. And kudos to the organization for having faith in him. But that goes back to what I said in an earlier segment. This team that just identified this guy as a seventh-round pick project. They were patient with him, and they had people in front of him to help teach him along the way and let him learn the great. It wasn't that he was rushed. They didn't put him in there on a regular basis until they said, okay, this man's ready to go. Until Stoutland gave them the green light and said he's ready to go, they didn't have to put him in there. But he was a low-value low investment they saw potential in. And look at how he's blossomed at this point. You bring, you bring a very good point. You know, another guy who's starting to blossom into his role in Philadelphia is a guy that came out of nowhere, really, an undrafted guy uh, out of Middle Tennessee State, Reed Blankenship at safety. You know, he's a guy who's starting to turn heads every single time he touches the field in training camp to the point where he's considered a uh, and, and I, I gave credit to my guy John McMullen, you know, for this, you know, you know, for this, uh, you know, for, you know, for coining this term, uh, a deference player, right? You know, he yeah. he's he's a guy that he's not going to see the field in training camp because they they're so secure in what he brings to the table and his ability. And you know, when I watch a guy like Reed Blakeship play, especially last season, he may not jump off the screen from an athleticism standpoint, but he's never, almost never, in the wrong place at the wrong time. As a matter of fact. He understands how to play that position so well, and he's so disciplined. He's so refined at the position. I believe he was a four or five year starter at Middle Tennessee. Yeah. And when you you know you know when you put it when you put it in in context like that, he he truly understands what it takes uh, to play that position. Now playing it on this level in the NFL is definitely a different conversation. But right. coming in when CJ GJ got hurt last year and making the splash plays that he did and you know, and making key stops, key tackles, so on and so forth. Again, he's not the most athletic guy, but he's a willing tackler. He's a really – he's one of the best tacklers on the team, and he just understands the position through and through. Here's the difference, first and foremost, between him and Malata. Malata's at a stage where he doesn't have to worry about somebody taking his job as long as he does his job. Right. Blankenship is in a position he can do his job, but he's got he's, – he's looking over his shoulder. You've got Sidney Brown. You've got this young man, Justin Evans, waiting in the wings. And – Reed Blankenship's room for error is minuscule compared to Jordan Malata. Absolutely. Because Reed Blankenship has the experience on those other guys right now, but those other guys may have the athleticism on him that could expedite their ability to move up quicker, you know, than Reed Blankenship would want him. So, his read in his mind has got to say, you know what? I can't let the things I do wrong hover over me for too long because that's when you start to make mistakes. 
you know, I've got to be able to keep that even keel between physical attributes and that mental that mental switch that turns off and off in a fraction of a second to make that definitive decision to make the plays that keep me on the field. If not, you know, everybody's clamoring for Sidney Brown. He hasn't even done anything yet in the NFL. Right. Justin Evans, everybody's clamoring. For, he hasn't done anything yet. But just because of the names, he's got to worry about all this. So he's got to keep playing this battle, mental battle with himself. I've got to focus on just playing football and doing the things that got me this far. Because when I start overthinking things, that's when I'm going to get in trouble. Yeah, absolutely. You know, he, you know, in, in, in the joint in the joint training camps with the uh, with the Browns, you know, he had an interception and nearly had another interception off of Mark Cooper uh, dropping the ball. He had pass breakups. You know, he you know, he was kind of making life really difficult out there for uh, Deshaun Watson. But also you coupled that with the pass rush. You know, you forced the quarterback to make a bad decision. You know, Reem Blankenship has shown an ability to read, you know, to read the quarterback's eyes like he did on Aaron Rodgers in his first yep. play, uh, yep. you know, in, in the season last year. Um, I want to transition to the running back situation uh, really quickly. You know, we saw DeAndre Swift have a really, really, a really solid run in that preseason game against the Ravens. I, th- I think it was like a 20, 23-yard 20, run. 22-yard run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 22-yard run. And – it wasn't just the distance traveled. It was how he got there. Right. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Sometimes sometimes it's not about the route. You know what I mean? Or I put it to you this way. Sometimes it's not about the distance. It's not about the miles. It's about how you got there. Did you take right. the shortcuts? Did you take did you take the underpass or the overpass? Like, well, how did you get the, did you take the did you take I-95? Did you take 70? How did you get here? Because all routes aren't created equal. Yeah. When I saw that cut move coming out of the back, and the guy with the guy would have had him dead to rights. He would have had him. But I saw that that stopping that cut. And then I saw him get upfield and then lower that shoulder. I was like, oh, okay. All right. I think I think they may have something here. So I guess my question for you is no one will be know about DeAndre Swift's past outside of Philly. And then seeing what he did in his first taste of football, live football action, do you think DeAndre Swift has done enough to cement himself not just on the roster? they traded for him. So he's going to be on the roster. Let, let me let, let me frame it like this. Do you think he's done enough to the point where Nick Sirianni and those guys can shelve him for the rest of the preseason? I would think so. Um, you just wanted him to work up a sweat. But, be, but he's still learning this offense, and they're still figuring out the best way to utilize him. There's one thing to look at players on film when you want to get some players in here and say, man, that's the kind of player – I want, but everybody's system is a little bit different. So when you get them in here, you're experimenting. What, how is he better suited to be successful in what we do in the structure of our offense? So I wouldn't be surprised if him and Penny got a few more touches in the upcoming game on Thursday night against Cleveland, but I don't think they'll be in there as long. You know, we don't need to see game well in Boston Scott because we know what they can do in a, in a, in Nick Sirianni offense, you know, Trey Sermon is, is a guy who's going to get his touches because he's so far down on the depth chart and he's a quality running back. Now, the more you play him and expose him, the more likely you are, if you try to hide him on the, on, on the practice squad, somebody's going to pick him off. You know, you got, you got lucky and you had him here all last season, although they, they protected him by keeping him on the 53 man last year. I don't see them keeping five running backs on the 53 man this year. So who do you think – who do you think the four running backs are going to be? Because I I think they may enter this season with four running backs on the active roster. 
who, uh, who, who, who do you think? It's got to be the obvious four. It's got to be Penny Swift, uh, Gainwell, and Boston Scott. Mm. You know, and there's no need to move those guys. They have proven uh, themselves at this level. They have been effective at this level. There's no I, chance Trey Sermon knocks off Penny. I, I don't see it. I don't see it. I think the only way a Sermon elevates himself is if one of those guys gets hurt, any of those four guys get hurt in the preseason to the point they're not going to be ready for the regular season. I think that's the only way that he cracks the top four. And unfortunately, it's not because of a lack of physical ability. It's just that he's caught up in a numbers game. Yeah, yeah, I totally, I, I, I totally understand that perspective. Uh, you know, really quickly before we uh, take our quick break, you know, I want to talk about Devontae Smith and Denzel Ward. Those two were going at it, uh, you know, competitively, of course, uh, in the joint practices. You know, there was there, there was plays where Devontae got the better of Ward, and you know, there were moments where Ward you know, got the better of Devontae. You know, Devontae Smith is a guy that was drafted high, drafted top 10, uh, on you know, for the Philadelphia Eagles. And he has been a guy that's just been a workhorse, but also such a disciplined customer, right? A guy who truly understands the wide receiver position, understands all the nuances and all the all, all the details when it comes to footwork and, you know, uh, just, you know, knowing what, to, knowing what to do at the top of your routes. And it's, he, he, he's just such a spectacular athlete at the position in terms of just technique and fundamentals and route running and understanding leverage and I think he's one of the best sideline catchers in the NFL you know just you know just knowing just knowing where to have his feet and knowing where to place his hands so on and so forth you know what do you think the future holds for a guy like Devontae Smith in Philadelphia you know the Eagles you know really quick before you answer the Eagles love their homegrown players you know so you know, what do you think the future holds for a guy like Devontae Smith? And what do you think a Devontae Smith contract extension looks like? Um, it, it's hard to it's, it's hard to tell what the extension looks like because the numbers continuously go up, grow, go up. Although, you know, every position doesn't go up to the magnitude of a quarterback, obviously, but the numbers keep going up. So in term, if he keeps doing what he's doing, his next contract is going to put him in the top two to five receivers in a game. Okay. Do you think his contract goes just just for perspective? Uh, AJ Brown makes twenty five million a year. Right. He signed a four year, hundred million dollar extension with the Eagles, so he's at twenty five million per year on average. Right. Obviously, guys like Tyreek Hill, Devontae Adams, um, those guys are above him. Um, right. So, putting it into perspective like that, is Devontae Smith a twenty five? million dollar wide receiver right now like do you see and again we know that the money always goes up so things can always change but just put yeah. into just put into perspective you know how do you see Devontae Smith's extension looking like when you know what a guy like AJ Brown is making if if he continues to be this productive and his numbers continue to 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 go up um they're gonna have to pay him because he'll still be a young man and the Eagles you know when you have a receiver like that especially a primetime receiver you don't want to just let them go, you know, and I can see the Eagles. Now you can say, are the Eagles going to pay two wide receivers uh, that kind of money? I would say the answer is probably yes. If they're both being as productive and complementary to each other as they are now, that's a luxury. A lot of teams don't have when you have 2000 yard receivers, you know, and if that's an integral part of your offense, you want to keep that flow going as much as possible. And let's face it, by the time they get to negotiating a new contract, 
with Devonta Smith in a couple of years. The cap's going to be go going up significantly as well. So you have more money to play with under the cap number, whatever that number is. The cap number usually goes up anywhere from 10 to $12 million a year. So you're going to have a little bit more money to play with and still be able to have wiggle room to get some of the other things that you need to, to keep, keep your team a solid team. But, you know, he went from over – Devontae went from over 900 receiving yards his rookie year to a 1,000-yard receiver his second year. If he, if he goes up 1,200 yards the next year and 1,300, 1,400 yards the next, and he's still, still only like 25, 26, 27, you don't think the Eagles are going to pay him? Absolutely no, right. going to pay him. No, you're right. You know, and, you know, again, putting it into perspective, with A.J. Brown signing a four-year, $100 million, $100 million uh, extension with the Philadelphia Eagles, only fifty-seven point two million of that contract is guaranteed. So you can right. make you can make an educated guesstimate that only the first two years of that extension. And this is the, and then also this is the first year of AJ Brown's actual contract beginning with the Eagles. Right. When, when, you know when they traded for him, he was still on that rookie deal last year. Um, this is the first year of that contract taking effect. So you can make you can make an argument after the twenty twenty three and after the twenty twenty four season. The and when and that's going to be around the time where Devonta Smith's contract's coming up. You know, there's no guarantee that AJ Brown can will be here beyond the guaranteed money because you know he then then he's going to start looking for an extension. You know, once players get run out of the guaranteed money, now they're looking now they're looking at okay, you know, are we going to extend? What are we going to do? Are we going to restructure? Are we going to give more money up front? How how are we going to make this thing work? So, as far as what you said about the Eagles paying two wide receivers north of 25 million per year. It's going to be fascinating to see how that thing pans out. We understand that A.J. Brown is Jalen Hurts' best friend, but I also understand that Harry Roseman is real big on his homegrown talent. I see Harry Roseman dedicating resources to a Devontae Smith before he yeah. dedicates his resources to A.J. Brown. Yeah, I, I agree because Devontae is younger. You know, and let's face it, if A.J., who had 1,500 receiving yards his first year with the Eagles, if he has over the next couple of years 12, 1,300 consistently, he's going to ask to redo that contract. Of course. And at that time, the Eagles are going to have to identify, well, we have this young up-and-coming player. And even though Howie Roseman, if he really wanted to, he'll find a way to get both of them under the cap. I doubt if he would pay both of them because there's going to be another receiver that comes along that they may look at. Or one of the young receivers they have in fold or a free agent, younger receiver they may have in-house, how he may be satisfied that that young receiver can elevate his game to the point in the structure of Nick Series offense to be an effective off receiver or complimentary receiver to a Devonta Smith. You know, it, the numbers game in the NFL is, is crazy. And, you know, how is the best of the best him and several others in the league, the best of the best and moving money around to make things fit. And at that time, we still don't know what will the Eagles need to identify? What could they possibly lose in personnel that they feel they may have to identify more so than paying too high price receivers? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, since, you know, since, since we're, you know, going crazy with the wide receiver topic, you know, I have a very fascinating conversation I want to have with you, have with you in the next segment. You know, I, I'm not going to leak it just yet, but I think you know what I'm talking about. It involves number ones on both sides of the ball. So, Eagles fans, make sure you guys stay locked in. Smash that like button. Make sure you guys are subscribed to the Jacob Sports YouTube channel. He's Derek Gunn. I'm Tony DeShields the second, filling in for our guy Rob Ellis. We'll be back in a moment, you guys. Keep it locked.
Go passionately. Go fearlessly. Go confidently. <clears throat> Go confidently towards your goals with First Trust, Philly's hometown bank for nearly 90 years, and the official bank of the Philadelphia Eagles. We're focused on getting you over the goal line. So go with conviction, go with trust, and go forward with us by your side. First Trust Bank, the official bank of Philadelphia dreams. Oh, and go birds. fans on earth it's a bold statement but would you expect anything less from philadelphia 58 years of heartache creates a toughness a grit a resolve not found in most sure our prayers were answered but now that we've had a taste we're looking for more pondley hockey official partner of the philadelphia eagles Go to get your game on. Go for the beers. Go for the cheers. Go for the hit and the hits. Go for the stakes and the stakes. Go to get your parlay on. Go to get your party on. Go for the scene. Go for the screens. Go for the gallery. Go for the win. Go to Ocean. Visit theoceanac.com to plan your visit. E-A-G-L-E-S Eagles Hey, hey, hey Welcome back, welcome back you guys to another segment of Sports Take I'm your guy, Tony DeSales II And as you guys already know I am joined by Derek Gunn's beautiful and illustrious computer chair Woo! Oh my goodness, man! D gun. That wasn't a three-minute break. You dupe me, man. You hoodwink. You, you know hoodwink. you're right. You know you're right. It was two minutes and fifty-nine seconds to be exact. Oh, what you trying to say? <laughs> what, you, what you trying to say, man? Hey, listen, man. Time is relative these days, right? For real. My goodness, <laughs> man. All right, so, so D gun. Like I said, I mentioned the wide receiver position uh, in the last segment. You know, we uh, we ended the segment talking about Devontae Smith. Uh, and his potential contract situation that's going to be coming up with the Eagles. And also we talked about how he's elevated his game. And we also even got into the impact A.J. Brown has had on his Eagles roster as well uh, with his production. But that led me to a topic that I don't think we were ever really covered on sports take in the way that we normally would. We've always okay. talked about we've always talked about top five receivers, right? Or the right. top five corners. We've talked about top five wide receiver duos. We've talked about top five cornerback duos, right? But have we ever really dove deep into the top five or the best number one wide receiver slash cornerback duos? Now, Uh Eagles fans, follow me here, right? This is what I mean. Which teams in the NFL have the best combination of the number one and the number the number one wide receiver and the number one cornerback, right? Who has the t- who has the best? Who made the top five of the best Ooh. wide receiver cornerback duos? So, for example, I'm going to start off 
with my top five, right? And I'm going to go from five all the way up until one. So, Deacon, how do you want to do this? Do you want to do you want to trade off five, five, four, four, or do you want to get my list and you give your list? Uh, I, I I'll let you give your list. It was I I I, I couldn't rank them in order. Okay, okay, fair enough. Five, but it was tough. It was tough. And look, the the way this conversation may go, some Ooh. people may get moved. So yeah, it, it doesn't have to necessarily be in order. But again, you know, just saying, in your opinion, your top five uh, rec- wide receiver, your top five number one wide receiver, number one cornerback duo. So I'll start. So uh, at number at number five, I had DK Metcalf and Tyreek Woolen. Now DK Metcalf has been in this league for I, I want to say the same amount of time uh, AJ Brown has been. I think they were they were in the same draft class, drafted in the same round. Same right. thing with Terry McLaurin, second round. So DK Metcalf is a guy who's been extremely productive in the NFL. Uh, you know, he's known for his athleticism. He's known for his he, he's known for the phys, his, his his dominance physically uh, at the position. And you know, he has he has top he has top ten hands, maybe top twelve hands at the position. I think he's so physically imposing that he just beats you with you know with sheer athleticism alone. Um, I think there are wide receivers who are more technically sound than him who have bet who have better hands than him but when you think about that combination with him and Tariq Willen a young guy who was a rookie last year wasn't drafted high at all but yep. came in and tied for the league lead in interceptions last year and on top of that that Seahawks defense is coming a long way right now you know they they drafted some you know some pretty good guys so I think that combination of DK Metcalf and Tariq Willen is a solid duo and remember you guys this isn't just simply as top five wide receiver top five corners because there are situations where a team may have a top five wide receiver, but they may have a bottom five corner. You know what I mean? So, so you yep. can't have it all, right? So, there, there, there's it's actually slim pickings when you make a list like this. Um, so number, so my number five was DK Metcalf and Tyreek Woolen. My number four. Let me say this because because I have I have both DK Metcalf and Woolen on my list, and okay. the thing that is fascinating about Woolen is this: he's what a fifth. Of, when I look at him and I look where he's drafted. It automatic it automatically brings back memories of when the Seattle Seahawks secondary was the Legion of Boom. Back then, they liked bigger. You know, Richard Sherman was a six five guy who was drafted in the middle rounds. I look at Tyreek Woolen; he's six four, and he was drafted in the middle rounds. But here's the thing: he ran four four two six forty. That man six four running a four two six forty. So he's got the size to play any size wide receiver. He's got the speed to cover any receiver. And he's already getting the recognition this early in his career. He's already getting that national notoriety among his brethren in the NFL. Mm-hmm. That this dude was a steal for where he was drafted and a straight-out baller. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they they drafted that safety or that corner outside of uh, Illinois as well. I forget my guy's name. Uh, man, he was the first-round draft pick for them this year. Uh Dude, I think I think I think he's going to be really good as well. Um, so yeah, uh, DK Metcalf, Tyreek Willen made both made both D Gun and my list. Uh, moving on to my number four, I have uh, CD Lamb and Trevon Diggs. Now, okay, Trevon Diggs is a very very risky player. He he takes a lot of risk. He he rolls the dice a lot, but you can't deny his production. And a guy like CD Lamb, same thing. A guy that you can't you can't deny his production. I understand he's a cowboy. I understand these are Cowboys players, Eagles fans. So don't 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 chop my head off of this. But I just believe that that's a pretty. I, I actually, as a matter of fact, Deacon, I was torn between using 
Stephon Gilmore or or uh, Trevon Diggs. I mean, that I, I was torn about that. I, th- I think I chose Trevon because he, he he's been with that team longer, and we and we he had, we have a sample size of his game in that system, um, and he's younger as well. So, you know, what's your thoughts on that? I um, I put C.D. Lamb with uh, Stephon Gilmore because okay. his body of work historically has spoken for itself. I respect in that. In terms of not making as many mistakes. I couldn't put Trayvon on that list, even though that man just got paid $97 million mm-hmm. because he's that riverboat gambler. For as many big plays as he makes, he gives up as many big plays. He has not been consistent or as fluid in all phases of his cornerback play. You look at, a, at Stephon Gilmore, it's still even at the age of 33, Stephon is still steady Eddie. You know, he is solid. He doesn't give up many big plays. He still combats. He can go to hand-to-hand combat. He can play off and still come up and make the big uh, tackle or make the, the key tackle when he has to. I can't put Trayvon Diggs on that because his game is either here or here. Mm. There's no even even kill when it comes to Trayvon Diggs' game. I respect that. I, I and, and, again, I was supremely torn because I was thinking to myself, should I use Stefan? But he's, he hasn't really played for the Cowboys just yet. Right. So I was so so I I was I was kind of torn, you know, just off of that alone. Um, so I, I again I I guess my mindset was let me go with the tried and true product in that defense, and that's right. um, uh, Trevon Diggs. Moving on, uh, my number three, uh, my number three group, I have Garrett Wilson and Sauce Gardner. Yes, sir. And I think Sauce Gardner is what takes them that high. Um, Garrett Wilson coming out of his rookie year was rookie. Both of those guys were offensive and defensive rookie of the year, respectively. You know, Garrett Wilson. You know, I don't consider him to be a top five wide receiver yet. Right. But, you know, when when I think about Sauce Gardner, I think he's a top five corner. So I think what Sauce Gardner brings to the table elevates a guy like Garrett Wilson on my list. Um, you know, what's your thoughts on that? Here's why I put I put that combination on the list is because you look at the you, you look at the uh the carousel of quarterbacks that team had last year, and Sauce Gardner in his rookie campaign still had a thousand yards receiving. That tells you all you need to know about he didn't have consistent quarterback play. He had the Milf Hunter. He had Mike White. You know, he didn't have consistency in terms of chemistry. And he was named, he was still named the offensive rookie of the year. That tells you the respect that he's garnered already. Sauce Gardner was identified last year already in his rookie campaign as a shutdown corner. It usually takes a cornerback a couple of years to develop. That kind of respect. Sauce Gardner, who, oh, by the way, was the defensive rookie of the year, was a shutdown corner in his rookie campaign. Gave him one touchdown. One Just touchdown one. the entire season. And the completion percentage he had, again, was like less than 30, 35% completion percentage that he allowed. So, yeah, I did. I had to put that young, that combination. When you put those two combinations together, you said wide receiver, cornerback, mm-hmm. boom. They're automatically on the list because of what they've already accomplished in such a short amount of time. I got to respect that. You know, moving on to uh, my number two group. I have A.J. Brown and Darius Slay. Now, I know a lot of people are saying, well, James Barry, James Barry had the better year last year. Is Darius Slay on the back nine? I totally understand the mindset, but it's hard for me to just diminish you know, what Darius Slay has been for this team, what he's right, been in right. his career, you know, just, you know, and also the respect he commands and and, and he receives from his peers. Still right, to this right. day, his peers consider him the, the guys that play the position, the guys that go up against him on a day-to-day. They still think he is a top five corner in this league. So I have to put some respect on his name just, you know, just out of that alone. Those guys are playing him. You know what I'm saying? You know, they're, they're, they're right. seeing it. They understand the game more than I do. 
You know what I mean? So, yeah. so I, so I have to put stock into what Darius Slay has done, not just for the Detroit Lions, but also what he's done for the Philadelphia Eagles. Despite him having, despite despite him kind of tailing off at the on the back end of last season, and also let, let's be honest about this, he was he was playing at such a high level in the first part of that season. Any bit of regression he would have experienced, we would notice it. So I think we were kind of spoiled by him playing at such a high level. And then when he kind of regressed to just the mean, I guess you'll say, as John Mullen always says, having a regression to the mean, we yeah. kind of looked at it as him taking a step back or not playing as well. But I think it was just a combination of, you know, obviously he's getting older, but I think it was more so just he just came back down to earth a little bit. And that's and at the, playing the cornerback position, that's not a position that you're always going to be on the highest of highs. You're going to have, you know, it's it, it's a give and take position. And then A.J. Brown, obviously, I mean, nearly five, nearly 1,500 yards receiving in his first year as a Philadelphia Eagle, um, double-digit touchdowns. The dude is a physical freak, not just, not just, not just throwing his body around as a route runner, but he but but he he's he's so disciplined. He's so he's so magnetic at the catch point. And on top of that, he has an uncanny ability to know how to use his body to make sure he's the only one that can catch the ball. He always says, it's either my ball or nobody ball. They call him 1K always open for a reason, D-Gun. Hopefully he can teach Quez Watkins that because with Quez Watkins, is everybody's ball. And Quez Watkins goes up. <laughs> Quez Watkins says, hey, you want it that bad, you can have it, you know? Quez Watkins got to learn from AJ. Oh Brown. my goodness, that was good. I like that. That, that, that boy good. That boy yeah. good. I like, like that. that. See, <laughs> you you can tell that even though Rob Ellis is not here, you have been paying close attention, my friend, since you have been producing our show, and you have learned your lessons well because up to this point, our list has been almost the same. Mm. Uh, AJ Brown was definitely on my is my number two. But I had to come, I had to base my list on when we talked about this before the show. I based it on the best combination going into this season. Right, right. So based on that and last year's performance, I had to put AJ Brown with James Bradbury. I'm not mad at it. I'm yeah. not mad at it at who all. The, who was the most consistent of the two? Now Slay. There's a reason why he's gone by the name of Big Play Slay, and he's earned that rightfully so, no question about it. But in terms of overall consistency last year. Like the big Dan Celio said, Bradbury is long enough to battle these bigger receivers, fast enough to stay these with these receivers, and he don't give up many plays over the top. Right. He keeps and everything he in front of him. Okay. And he's a decent tackler as well. So I had to elevate him a little bit higher than Slay because of the inconsistencies that Slay had last year. So I put AJ Brown for a lot of the reasons that you just said, along with Bradbury and not Slay. Now I can't wait to see if we're going to be simpatico with our number one pick. <laughs> now the number one is fascinating because unfortunately and i made this list injuries aside right you know I, I understand guys get hurt and so on and so forth but i made this list not even taking injuries into account i was strictly just going off of talent and talent at their disposal okay um for me i gotta go the combination of tyreek hill and Jalen ramsey i have I, I have to go that combination because you, might, you see my list right here is it is it the same it's the same. <laughs> I mean, for obvious reasons. I mean, Tyreek Hill is they call him cheetah for a reason. Now, look, you know, some you know, some people have their own opinions of his game. Some people say, well, he's a body catcher, you know, he doesn't really have the best hands at the position. He just gets so much separation, you know, it makes him catching the ball that much easier. But, you know, look, at the end of the day, he's playing a wide receiver position. And last time I checked, he's still productive. And the last time I checked, man, 
they can't catch him. And if you and if you can't catch him, you know what can you know what, what can you do about it? A guy and then and then Jalen Ramsey, you know he's been a, he's he's been at the top of the position, you know, for the past you know several years, man. He can't he he, he kind of came out with that same swagger as a uh, as a Sauce Gardner, you know, coming out immediately locking guys down. He immediately earned the respect of his peers, and you know I put a lot of stock into that. I understand Jalen Ramsey is going to be hurt for the better part of the 2023 season. And, you know, in his first year with the Miami Dolphins, and I was so looking forward to seeing him and Xavier Howard, uh, you know, you know pl- play next to each other. But when I think about that combination, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Ramsey, those those guys, they jaw jack too, and they, and they played the and they both played the position with a with a certain swagger, a certain juice, you know, a certain a certain uh, flair about it, man. They how can you not choose those guys, man? The numbers, the numbers, of production, you know, just everything about them just says, you know, people, those guys are the best. The best duo, number one wide receiver, number one cornerback duo, you know, in the NFL. You know, I know a lot of people are trying to say that Jalen Ramsey's game was down last year, but when you lose Aaron Donald up front, it puts a lot of pressure on the other people around you. Yeah. And Jalen Ramsey was on a defense that was like a sieve last year. They couldn't hardly stop anybody. To me, Jalen Ramsey is still one of the finest cornerbacks at 6'1, 210 pounds, can flat out run physical. And when you look at the comp, you talked about the combination of these two jaw jacking. It ain't jaw jacking if you can back it up. There are a lot of people that, 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 that wolf. It can't consistently back up what they say. And when Jalen Ramsey's healthy, he's as good as any cornerback in the National Football League. Absolutely. Kill, I don't care if he's a body catcher. You know why? Because he's an invasion of the body snatcher also. He'll snatch <laughs> he will snatch an opposing defender's soul from him. You can't single cover him. You cannot double cover him. In his seven years in the National Football League, he has five 1,000-yard seasons, okay? The last three years, he has had over 1,000. And, oh, by the way, this past year, he had over 1,700 yards receiving. You you know what he's going to do when he steps on the field, okay? You know exactly what he's going to do, and you still cannot stop this man. I think Tyreek Hill is the best ball tracker in the game. Tyreek Hill, definitely, if not the fastest, one of the fastest in the game. And he's strong. He's a little guy, but you don't just bring him down arm tackling either. He is the ultimate nightmare for anybody who has a step on the football field. He's one of the few receivers in the game. Every time you line up, your heart's in your throat beating. You can hear your heart beating in your ears because you're afraid of being on his highlight reel. Absolutely. And there's no question, my number one combination, it has to be right now Tyreek Hill and Jalen Ramsey. Now, is Jalen Ramsey going to play a full season? Probably not. He's going to get hurt. He played a full season last year. But I'll tell you what, if he's healthy and he's able to solidify that corner for Miami, Miami's defense is going to be that much better. Miami had a decent defense last year. It's going to make that defense that much better. Hey, listen, man, I can't argue with that. Listen, you guys are locked in on a tremendous episode of Sports Take. Make sure you guys smash that like button. You know, make sure you guys continue to stay engaged in the content because D got an eye. We're, you know, we're, you know, we're balls to the wall right now. We're having a good time, man. And they're going you know, it's, it's, it's going to take a it's going to take an army of millions to pull us off this ledge. The gun, I tell you that. Come right on, now. people, hit that like button. Come on now, we know you can do it. We appreciate Absolutely. you hopping on. Come on now, get those likes up. Absolutely, Absolutely. So, let me ask you this, D Gun. So, we do have some. We do. We do have a mixed bag of sports topics uh, right now. We're we're right now we're at the uh, the two thirty mark right now for the show. Do you want to save those? Do you want to say that mixed bag for the last segment? And then we'll go into our birthdays and our our movies, or do you want to hop into them now and, and, and go that route? Hey, look, we haven't hit Zach Martin, 
Zeke Elliott, Dalvin yeah. Cook. We haven't hit none of that stuff yet, man. Yeah, you know? you, you're right. You're right. We got so okay. So let's do this, right? It's what is it's uh two thirty two right now your time. Let's yep. take a quick let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll hit all those topics and then we'll go right into our birthdays and close out the show. How does that sound? Hey man, I'm on your time. Hey, I like I like I like the way that sounds, big ball. I like I like the way that hey, sounds. So you guys are locked in. I'm just here so I don't get fined. <laughs> well, listen, D gun man, listen. You're a beautiful you're a, you're a beautiful human, man. You're you're a good guy. You know you're a good sport. You do a good job at your job, man. You guys are locked in on Sports Take. I'm Tony DeShields the second. He's Derek Gunn, and I'm filling in for Rob Ellis, our guy, man. We'll catch you guys in a little bit. We got a three-minute break lined up, so make sure you guys go lock in on Ocean Casino because, man. It's just three minutes. Three yeah. minutes. All right, three minutes and three seconds. How about that? Is, is, is that a little better? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. All right, I got you. We got, we got a three-minute break plus three seconds on top of that for D-Gun. You guys, keep it locked. You don't want to miss this. own a company and you're not producing a podcast you're missing out the public consumes messaging when they're ready join the professional podcast network of companies and let jacob media partners put you in the podcast arena come to our professional studio or we'll come to your place of business and professionally produce your company podcast call jacob media right now at 267-261-3428-267-261-3428 Here, imaginations run wild and time stands still. Because here, you can find the best of the Jersey Shore all on one five-mile island. So leave the old you behind and get lost in the woods. Southeastern PA in Delaware with Colony Pools this football season. And let the experts close your pool with a custom Merlin safety cover in green for the birds. And if you join our winter watch team, we'll give you another 20% off and Colony Pools will handle it all. Keep your tiles on your pool, not in your pool. Fly with Colony right now, birds fans. Visit flywithcolony.com. G-L-E-S Eagles 
sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. Hands on your computers and let the vibe flow through because funk not only moves, it can remove. Sure, sure, Candy, gonna remove all the groove. All you gotta do is pick and choose. <laughs> you guys are locked in on Sports Take. I'm your guy, Tony. This is the second, joined by the man, the myth, the legend, the Don Dada, Uncle Derek Gunn. And I'm filling in for Robert Ellis, who's currently right now traveling to take his daughter to college as for her freshman year, man. Wow. Those Hopefully were some the of that days. South Carolina barbecue, also. Those were the days, man. Uh, you know, but nonetheless. We have so much more to discuss with you guys. First and foremost, I appreciate all of you for making this time for me as pleasant as possible. You know, I've been re- I've been reading some of y'all chats, and, and, and you you guys are hilarious. I'll tell you this right now: you you guys are y'all 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 are a piece of work, but I love it, and you guys make it worthwhile, man. D Gun, hey man, they, they, I look up, man. They're going at it with each other, man. It's like is something in the water out there today, and they ripping <laughs> in each other, going at it, man. It's like wow. It's okay. so funny, man. Earlier, earlier when you called me the bougie brother, all of a sudden they started saying, "Yeah, Tone, uh, Tone drinks his milk with his pinky up." <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I've seen him do it. I know he does. I've seen him do it. Hey, listen, man. I, listen. Sometimes when you're thirsty, you gotta just straight up bougie. You gotta just you gotta just wiggle the pinky. You know what I'm saying? You got you gotta just wiggle the pinky. Man. So let's get into our mixed bag of sports topics before we get out of here. D Gun, time is gonna fly by. Every mile as well as have some fun while we're doing it. So. You mentioned Dalvin Cook signing to the New York Jets finally. Now, we all knew this thing was a foregone conclusion to an extent because he was visiting the Miami Dolphins and yeah. he was he was kind of baiting both of those both of those teams against each other, right? And both of those teams I don't want to say decimated, but they're not the strongest at the running back position. Right. So, Dalvin Cook to the Jets, that's a hell of a move for the Jets. The Jets are clearly making it known that they're going for gold. You know, what, you know, what's your thoughts on this move and the kind of impact it could have, and not just the NFL, but the AFC, the AFC East? You know, what's your thoughts on Dalvin Cook to the Jets? Hey, Aaron Rodgers came out and said, hey, uh, recently, and said, hey, going to the Jets is better than I thought it would be. <laughs> and think about what Aaron Rodgers has done. He's put himself on a team that has been hungry for a winner and not just a rebuilding team. He's He was put on a team that was already loaded. They just needed a few parts. So they get him. You already have Brees Hall coming back. You go out and get Dalvin Cook, one of his arch rivals in the NFC North, and you put him in the backfield. Dalvin Cook is a four-time pro bowler, 1,000-yard rusher, and incredible pass catcher out of the backfield. Man, if I'm quarterback and I can't see a receiver open downfield and I'm dumping off to Dalvin Cook knowing he can take it to the house, on any given play, dude, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in Camelot right now. If I'm Aaron Rodgers, it's a great move for them. I mean, he's got a one-year contract is worth up to eight and eight point six million dollars. And oh, by the way, Brees Hall, who's coming off that ACL tear, just happened to be activated today. Brees Hall said, "Uh, wait a minute, you signed Dalvin Cook? Hey man, get me off this pop list, man. Hurry, hurry, get me off this pop." <laughs> that combination, because Brees Hall was having a phenomenal year. Tell he, he was. It's, yeah, man. I, 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 I'm a Brees Hall fan. I thought he was going to be, you know, one one of them ones. But you know, the injuries. What can you do? I got to address something. Mister Taz said Aaron Rodgers keeps breaking D Gun's heart. No, he doesn't. He did that enough in his tenure in, in, in Green Bay. Um, he won a Super Bowl in 2010, but since then, 
Aaron Rodgers, for as good as he is, first ballot Hall of Famer, has made some plays that make you want to throw a brick through a wall, you know. <laughs> and so I'm ready for what's new. And I understand what's new in Green Bay is going to have its trials and tribulations. It's a Kenny brigade up there in Green Bay now with all them young receivers and a new young untested quarterback who's in his fourth year but has not played much. I have embraced myself. I have set in. I'm in my lounge chair waiting for Green Bay to be inconsistent. But if I can come away saying, oh, I see signs of improvement, then I get jacked up about 2024. But I am going in with no notions, uh, expectations whatsoever for Green Bay this year. But to get back on focus, Dalvin Cook, incredible addition to that offense. They already got a stout defense. Now, they lost one of their starting safeties for the season uh, this summer. They go out and get Adrian Amos from Green Bay, who is a very good safety. And now you're bringing in Dalvin Cook to go with Garrett Wilson, to go with Sauce Gardner. And and they got to – if I'm Buffalo, and I still pick Buffalo to win that division, if I'm Buffalo, I'm thinking, uh, did you see what the Jets just did, just did again? Jets ain't joking, man. Listen, I spoke about this. Joe Douglas ain't joking in New York. I was talking to you and uh, Rod about this, man. I, I, I said the, they can push the Bills, man. They can push them. And I know a lot of people just think the Bills are just automatic locks for the playoffs. That that conference is so loaded. The AFC, the AFC East, we have no idea who's, who's going to win that division. We just don't. Nope. The AFC North, we have no idea who's going to win that division. None. They can beat up. They can. They can find a way to beat up on each other. The next thing you know, the Steelers has happened to win the division. Like anything is possible, but you know, I, it's just. And then on top of that, Joe Burrow is battling an injury in, in the AFC North. It's just, it's that AFC is so jam packed. It's so easy for a team like the Buffalo Bills to fall out the playoffs. It's so easy. I will say this: um, if I'm a betting man, I will pick. I will pick Cincinnati to win that division every day of the week leading up to the season. But I would not be surprised if Kenny Pickett continues to develop. And I think Pittsburgh is going to be better than Baltimore, to be honest. I I wouldn't be surprised if Mike Tomlin found a way to steal that division title from Cincinnati. And I think Cincinnati, on paper, is better than Pittsburgh, Baltimore, and Cleveland. But Mike Tomlin finds a way to win games you don't expect him to win. The fact that this man has never had a losing season in 16 seasons of coaching in the National Football League, consecutive seasons, Tells you about how he gets players to play for him. And look at the, trans, the the turnover they've had through the years. Of course, they had Big Ben for years. But look at the turnover they've had at other positions for years. They still yeah. find a way to be relevant. And I think if Kenny Pickett continues to, ex, to, to accelerate the way he did the latter part of last year, Pittsburgh's going to be right there battling Cincinnati for that division title. Absolutely. Uh, moving on to another running back who finally signed to a team, Ezekiel Elliott. Former running back for the Dallas Cowboys has signed a one-year deal worth of $6 million with the Ooh. New England Patriots. Now, the New England Patriots and the Philadelphia Eagles will be facing off in week one. Yes. This is, going to, this is going to be interesting because Zeke tends to have good games against the Philadelphia Eagles. Granted, he's on. Granted, he's not what he used to be. But if you, to me, if you look at those numbers, man, I think he's a very productive back still. Just basically, it just all depends on on the situation. You know, what's your thoughts on that on that situation in uh, New England? Well, you know, the funny thing is, for as mediocre as New England was last year, they did have a thousand yard rusher in Ramondre Moore, who had over two hundred carries and he had a thousand like forty one yards. You put Zeke back there, I don't think Zeke's 
I think Zeke's better days are behind him, but he's healthy now, and he can go in there and be a role player. If they get their ground game going, and they have a decent offensive line, and plus they got two good tight ends in Hunter Henry and Mike Gusecki, I'm not overly wild by their wide receiving core of Juju Smith-Schuster, Devontae Parker, and Kendrick Bourne. Mm -hmm. If you had those three receivers with Patrick Mahomes, that's a bit different. But Mac Jones is not Patrick Mahomes. So we don't know exactly what that offense is going to look like and how much Mac Jones has improved, although Bill O'Brien is there to mentor him. And I expect Mac Jones to be better with with Bill O'Brien overseeing him. To what degree? Don't know yet. But because New England has a really good defense and you have a healthy Zeke in that backfield, even though I I picked New England to finish last in the AFC East, they're going to go down screaming and fighting. And those other three teams in the division are not going to be able to walk over New England this season. Right. Right. I, th- I think New England, if they were in the NFC, I think New England is a playoff team. Like they're like their their defense is that good, in my humble opinion. Um, they just had a hard time putting up points consistently. So yes, yeah, that that New England team, I expect a better Mac Jones this year. Um, I feel like he got a bad end of the stick last season where he was asked to work under Matt Patricia as his offensive coordinator. I right. felt like that was a recipe for disaster for him. I felt like mm-hmm. I felt like that season um, was. It was one of those seasons that stunts your development as a quarterback, right? You know, mm-hmm. it's because it's, I, I personally felt like Mac Jones was trending in the right direction. You know, took the Patriots to the playoffs his first year. I mean, got bounced by the Buffalo Bills pretty badly. But, I mean, first year, took him to the playoffs. You know, first year as a starter, took him to the playoffs. Same thing Jalen Hurts. First year as a starter, took the Eagles to the playoffs. Regardless right. of the circumstances of how they got there, they got there. So, um, you know, they, you know, they, they, you have to put some stock into that, right? Absolutely. And, and can Bill O'Brien get Mac Jones back to his rookie year? Yeah. You know, you, you look at what Mac Jones did as a rookie, also played all 17 games, had almost a 68% completion percentage, 22 touchdowns, 13 INTs. He was only sacked 28 times, so he has some mobility. Not bad for a rookie. Now, he only played 14 games last year, percentage dipped down to 65, 14 TDs, 11 INTs. Uh, QB rating dropped as well a bit. Right. But now you have a quarterback guru coming in there, Bill O'Brien. You know, can Bill O'Brien do for Mac Jones what Brian Dabo did for Daniel Jones? That's a huge question mark. Because New England, outside of their mediocre collection of receivers, they have the offensive line, they have the tight ends, they have a nice dual, dual threat of running backs now, and they have a top five defense. And you got that dude, Matthew Judon, in the middle of your defense. You know, they've got they've got everything, but it comes down to the quarterback play. And when you stack Mac Jones against those other three quarterbacks in the league, he's going to be compared to the uh, other three quarterbacks in that division all season long. Um, you know, a lot of times teams at the bottom rise to the top and teams at the top fall to the bottom. You know, this is the division we can see, even though I'm picking Buffalo, we can see some slippage in Buffalo and rising of New England. I'm not saying New England's going to overtake the Jets or Miami. If Tua stays healthy, Jets and Miami are going to be pulling that uh, Buffalo sh- uh, shirt tail for that division title. Absolutely. Uh, let's transition into this, right? You know, I was listening to Nick Foles. He spoke to, he spoke to uh, John Clark uh, yesterday on yeah. his podcast. And, you know, he said something, said something really interesting. He says, if it was up to me, I don't know if I ever would have left Philly. And that just begs the question, right? You know, we all know that situation was kind of, 
doomed because we know where Carson Wentz and they had to appease him and certain and so forth. And, they, and we know Nick Foles winning that Super Bowl and then damn near taking the team back to the NFC title game. You know, things got things got hairy. And, um, you know, Nick Foles ended, ended up taking the money in Jacksonville. You know, what's your thoughts on those comments by him saying that if it was up to him, he never would have left here? Obviously, at that point, the Eagles felt that they had gotten what they wanted out of Nick Foles and they wanted to move in another direction. They weren't going to pay Foles the kind of money as a backup. Maybe he wanted and he had to go on to go somewhere else. But I think from a career standpoint, Nick Foles is honest enough to tell you that he's had his most success in two stints in Philadelphia. He's had more success in Philadelphia than he's had anywhere else as a quarterback in his in his career. And you think about where he's gone since he's left Philadelphia. You know, he couldn't hold he, – he went down to Jacksonville, got the money, got hurt, and when he came back, he didn't hold on to the starting job. Okay? And that cost him. And then you look at where else he's gone – He's never been the same quarterback. Chicago, well, that was a mess to begin with. But he's never been the same type of quarterback. So I, I get where he's coming from. Unfortunately, a lot of times for football players, what they want is not reality in terms of how an organization may view you and view your attributes fitting into what they want to do moving forward. And so, you know, you look at the mobility of the quarterbacks this team has. Look, look, even look at Carson Wentz's mobility in his best. Carson Wentz was like a Houdini at 6'5", ducking under guys, holding on to his, his, his jersey, running out of the pocket, throwing on the run. You know, and it just spiraled out of control from Carson after that. But And then they go out and get a Jalen Hurts. Nick Foles did not fit the bill of what the Eagles wanted to do in terms of a quarterback in the future. They saw the future. They saw the wave coming in. Look at all the mobile quarterbacks you have now across the board in the National Football League. That is the norm. That's not the exception to the rule anymore in terms of the quarterback play. And unfortunately for Nick, he didn't have that one attribute. He's not that mobile, you know, right. um, and, and, and and it hurt his career. But he got what he wanted. He had his moment in the sun. He, you know, he got in the Hall of Fame for those seven touchdown passes against Oakland. I was at that game years ago. And then all of a sudden he comes it off. He comes off the bench, rises out of the ashes, and takes this team, finishes off with Carson Wentz started and won his team its first uh, Super Bowl. So – you know, I understand his feelings, but from a business standpoint, Nick is also smart enough to know what you want isn't always what you get in the, in the NFL. Well, yeah, and I ain't mad at him for taking the money that Jacksonville wanted to give him. Oh, <laughs> I, ain't, oh, I, I ain't mad, oh, mad at him at all. So, uh, D Gun, we got about we got about mm, five six minutes left in the show. Let's let's yeah. let's. Let, I know we got so much stuff that we still haven't got to, but that's just the name of the game, man. Sometimes you can't cover all bases, but. You know, let's you know, let's let's get let's get to these birthday uh, birthdays. Let's get to these uh, these movies uh, that came out today. So, uh, you can go first. Uh, who do you have on your birthdays list today? Uh, Jennifer Lawrence. You know, great actress has already won an Oscar at her youngest. She's thirty three now, and as Rob and I would categorize, we definitely put her in the strong category. Strong, no question about it. Popeye strong. He just spent he just spent his kids. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. You know, uh, Napoleon Bonaparte, if you know your history, you know who Napoleon Bonaparte is, was born on this day in 1769. Uh, one of Tone's favorite, f- favorite group members, Joe Jonas. Of the no, Jonas he didn't. no, he didn't just do that. <laughs> <laughs> you're, a, you're a damn lie, D-Gun. You're, you're a damn lie. <laughs> he's, 30, he's 34 years old today. Oh, man, what uh, else you got? You know, Nipsey Hussle, rest in peace was born on this day in uh, 1985. Uh, great actor, uh, Ben Affleck. I love his movie, The Accountant. I love uh, that movie. I think that I watch that movie every time it's on. Every time I see it on TV, I watch The Accountant. Right here. Great movie. 
Uh, Julia Childs, the, the, the chef Julia Childs was born on this day in 1912. Uh, great actor and comedian Anthony Anderson is 53 today. Wow. Uh, Deborah Messing, who played on Will and Grace. I can't believe she's 55. Uh, Natasha Henstridge, uh, who played the movies Species 1, 2, and 3. Definitely in a strong category. Yeah. She's, yeah. she's, she's 49 today. Uh, Melinda, uh, Melinda Gates, ex-wife of Bill Gates, is 59 today. That bank account strong, I'll tell you that. That bank account is money strong. Which makes her ever. which makes her strong. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know, that's the kind of money that even if a woman was that ugly, I could I could probably I can do I, I can live with that for a while. <laughs> I can live with it for a while. Um, oh man, Lord have mercy. What else you got for me, D Gun? Uh let's see. We got uh Peter Herman, actor 56. Rosemarie, who used to play on one of my old favorite old sitcoms, uh, the Dick Van Dyke show. She played Sally Rogers. She was born on this day, 1923. Mike Connors, who played in the uh, television se detective series Mannix, was born on this day in 1925. Tony Watson, singer, writer, producer. She's the one who came up with that song, Dance Mon Monkey. I hmm. see, oh my, I see you dancing by. Oh, yeah, 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 you're losing you me. heard that song? You're losing me, you're losing me. Oh, man, come on, man. I thought you were up on the time. She's 23. Uh, Washington offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy, fifty-four. Okay. Uh, Quentin Aaron, who played Michael Orr in The Blind Side, is thirty-nine. Okay. Uh, great actress Drew Barrymore. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, Ethel Barrymore was born on this day in eighteen seventy-nine. Uh, David Zayas, uh, who played in Dexter, and uh, uh, he is sixty-one. Uh, Pat Priest. Uh, she played Marilyn in the old Munster sitcom back in the day. Uh, she's 87 today, still with us. Thank God. Uh, Hunt Hall, who was in the old series back in the 30s called the, the Bowery Boys and the Dead End Kids, was born on this day in 1920. Uh, Bobby Caldwell, who sings one of my favorite songs, What You Won't Do for Love. What you won't do. Because you wonder where I've been. Oh my goodness! <laughs> everything, and you don't give up. I can't back to world. Don't get me started, big gun. Don't get me started. Oh man! For love, what I will not do. <laughs> real anyway. quick, real quick. Where are we? We uh, we got one fifty four. Yeah, we running a long time. Real quick, right. I'm gonna I'm I'm throw off some movies, and then we're gonna get out of here. All right, big gun. Oh man, so, can't let me finish my list. All right, fine. Go ahead, get the movies in. Get all right, let's get, let's get some movies. In. So uh, today, in two thousand three, we had in two thousand three, we had Freddy versus Jason. Uh, that was a that, that was a fun movie. Uh, yeah. in, two, in 2008, we had Star Wars: The Clone Wars. In 2014, The Expendables Three. The, yeah. the fourth one is about to come out. I can't wait. Uh, Crazy Rich Asians. That was a fun movie as well. That was fun. Yeah. We also had The Giver that came out this year. Uptown Girls in 2003. Open Range in 2003. Mirrors in 2008. Copland in 1997. And Event Horizon in 1997 with Lawrence Fishburne. That's a pretty good movie as well. So where are we? Uh, going on one fifty-six. Couple, go on, go on, go on. Do your thing. Do your thing. Apocalypse Now came out in 1979. Okay. And the Cheetah Girls came out in 2003. Did you get the Expendables? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Two and three. They dropped them on the same day. Expendables 2 came out in 2012. Expendables 3 came out in 2014 on this day. Wow, that's hilarious. 
That's hilarious. Hey, you know what? Going back to Steve Ike for just a minute. You're right, Steve. Nobody knew. Nobody really thought Bobby Caldwell was white. I thought he was black for years. I, th I think he was a brother for the longest. I'm, for I'm the longest. Here. Come to find out, it's this country-looking white boy, man. Yeah. <laughs> and I, sing, <laughs> dude, I sing that song. I, to this day, I still sing that song all Absolutely. the time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, Bobby Caldwell, man, he, he has my heart what? forever with this song. Forever. Only you make me do for love what I would not do. <laughs> oh, hey. man. And, and I know what you guys, we love you guys so much, man. You guys have made sports take a hell of a show today, man. It's never it's never the same without our guy, Rob Ellis, but I felt like I did my best to try to hold it down. You did your part, well. bro. I got, I, got mad, I got mad props for you, man. I, uh, you know, I, I was a little concerned early on, but I said, all right, all that as, you, as you should, as, as, as you should have been. <laughs> Bring it to the table, do your homework. You did yes, your sir. job. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And I appreciate you for always making it easy. Also, shout out to our guy Dan Celia for coming on to the show. Appreciate uh, for, you, Dan. You know, for you know, giving a lot of insight, a lot of um, a lot of sports talk, you know, on these topics, man. There's so much more to discuss, but you guys already know it's Tuesday, tomorrow's Wednesday. But next up, before the day's over. You have the National Football Show with Dan Cilio. And then after that, you're going to have football 24-7 with John McMullen and myself. So today is yet to be finished. More sports talk to come. I appreciate y'all so much. Smash that like button. Make sure you guys are subscribed to the Jacob Sports YouTube channel. Make sure you guys also check out the content on jkipsports.com. Continue to comment below. If you guys are watching this after the fact, if you guys aren't watching this live, we ain't forget about you. Smash that like button. We appreciate y'all just as much as well, making sure those numbers always stay where they're supposed to be. So on that note, he's Derek Gunn. I'm Tony DeShields the second, filling in for Rob Ellis. This was, this Derek, was Gunn the first. Derek Gunn the first. Yeah. <laughs> oh, look at D-Gunn messing up my outro. But it's all good, though. It's all love. I do it for <laughs> you. And it's nothing I won't do for love, D-Gunn. On that note, you guys, take oh, care. I like that. This, you this like was, that? I like <laughs> that. <laughs> D-Gunn ain't going to let me go, y'all. I love y'all. We'll catch you on the flip side. Be cool. <laughs>
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.